0: Hello, everyone. I'm Lee. I'm Spencer. Mr. Lasso, lowdown. We get the lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. Spencer, we're here. We've marched through it week after week, heroically, one by one, knocking them out. Ten episodes, twelve episodes. Here we are at the end of season two. We're at the finale.
1: Spencer, how are you feeling? Feeling good. I mean, this has been a very interesting season to unpack. It's been so different than what I expected it was going to be, and so different than what season one was. Leaves me. Really looking forward to our talk so I can fully kind of conceptualize how I feel about this season now that it's come to the end.
0: I feel like this is your episode. I feel like this is the Spencer episode because so much of this season for you has been dependent upon, well, pause. I can't really tell you what I think think of that because I need to see how the storyline continues, right? You've done that. That's kind of been your how you've the prism through which you've looked at everything is how's it going to all sort of wrap up. I'm not seeing everything is wrapped up in a tidy bow. Obviously, there's going to be another season. They're very transparent about that, but I do think possibly. Tell me if I'm wrong. You might be in a better position to say how you feel about some of these storylines we've been introduced to this season.
1: They, they did reach the resolution for a lot of them that I was expecting them to have, or at least expecting there would be a resolution. The degree to which I'm satisfied with all of them varies. I feel like right, some of you can at least have... talk to them. I can't. We have reached the conclusion of a lot of these arcs. The Season 3 arc that they predicted Season 1 is still going to happen, though with a different villain than we originally expected. But for the arcs they presented in this season, we're done, we're finished, we're free to discuss them in their their entirety.
0: Well, I gotta tell you, I love that we got 12 episodes, even though a couple of the episodes, like we said, were, eh, I think, a little rocky because they were just kind of thrown in. But let's say they go through this, they use this cadence next year, it's three weeks or three months out of the year, four, four, four weeks, three months out of the year, we get Ted Lasso. That means one fourth of our year we're in Ted Lasso. That's pretty good, right?
1: I think you're okay with that, aren't you?
0: <laughs> I'm happy with it. I, I've been pleased this season. Um, there's been ups and downs. We will talk about those ups and downs as we always do week by week here on the Lasso Lowdown through our segments. We start with Tea Time with Lee, where I attempt to convince our American audience. That tea is not quite as bad as Ted thinks it is. And Dr. Sharon thinks it is, by the way. Spencer brings a... Dessert to the episode and biscuits with the boss. You have to do biscuits with the boss now, Spencer. It's back in rotation for the episodes. They're biscuits me. with the boss again. So you have I heard to my do protest. It. Spencer leads a recap heroically every week, banging out the notes. Here for the people, man of the people, the people's champ. Spencer doing the recap every single week. We go to train wreck of the episode where we award one character train wreck of the episode. Then we do sports Center top ten where we discuss ten things. Not nine, not eleven, not twelve, not eight things that we liked about the episode or things we want to talk a little bit more about that were referenced in the episode sometimes. And then we end with Ted's life lessons and the life lessons with Ted this week, Spencer, going to be big. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I, I, I can
1: figure.
0: Yeah. Because there's a lot in this episode, I think, to take away, right? With the, with what we talk about week by week on Ted's life lessons, which is what can we learn from the episode? How can we all like actually grow like, and, and, as people like, right. No bullshit. Like how can we actually take something from it to help ourselves? And I think that there's a lot, this episode for that, but I think it's also, uh, you can lump in full season story arcs right into that as well. So it'd be more of like a a season wrap up Ted's life lesson, which I'm really looking forward to. So that is our segments. That's what we are going to do. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. This is the last episode here on less so Lowdown until we come back for season three. So if you're enjoying the podcast, Thank you. We, we we certainly have grown an audience. A lot more people are listening week over week. Last last week was our biggest listening week of the season. So it just continues to go up, 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 up every week, like a pyramid, you could say. Potentially like a pyramid, just up, 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 all the way to pyramid the top. Pyramid of success, perhaps? But uh, that might leave you wondering, okay, well, how do I listen to, to Lee and Spencer going forward? I will tell you, we are switching right over. There's no break for us, podcast professionals, that we are. There's no mm. time on the bench. We are moving right over to covering Season three of HBO Succession over on a podcast feed called Line of Succession. This is another Mangum Talks podcast. Just type into your favorite podcast platform, Line of Succession. You will see our new podcast, Line of Succession, where we cover week by week HBO Succession. And I'll tell you, if you haven't seen Succession, very different show than Ted (laughs) Lasso. But I will tell Mm -hmm. you this. Uh Uh I like it for similar reasons, because there is absurdist comedy all throughout succession uh while it touches on serious matters while it's a drama in some elements while it's really tragic in some elements there's also a lot of funny shit that happens in <laughs> succession so uh if you like that part of ted lasso i can say you probably would like that part of succession as well and succession just a good show i think it's very it, good i mean i think it's like up there i mean i know it's been two years since we've seen succession but it's up there with the belt for best drama series that we have right now having the championship belt it is one of the best quality one hour drama Uh, shows that we have on television do you agree
1: it is remarkably well written and hey if you really like rebecca's mom on ted lasso she plays a upper level secondary character on that show too and it's great she's great in that role as well pretty much the same character sadly much much less sympathetic on succession than she is on ted lasso yeah flighty mom
0: kind of in and out one episode at a time yeah we get the same actress so yeah check us out over there if you want to Um, Because that's where we're going. That's where we're marching forward. But we will be with you for season three coverage. So so if you subscribe to this podcast and you've enjoyed it, keep it, keep subscribed, keep it in your podcast archives, because as soon as season three comes back, we will be back with new episodes. But we are not there yet, Spencer. We are on the finale of season two. And I want to address something before we get into our segments, we get into our episode. So last week, last week, we had a scene where Keely and Nate had what you could call a number of things. Uh a not great scene, not great interaction.
1: Not in any not, sense
0: of the word. Not great for Nate, I would say. Uh, because he leaned in and he kissed her when she was not wanting that to happen. Not great and for Q situation really. all the way around. Now you and I talked about this and I kind of stumbled as I was going because I could tell that the way I was talking about this wasn't articulate and i will go i will say that um if you go back and listen i was not articulate in how i explained it uh like i normally am right normally i just nail it oh yeah perfectly i mean Paragon perfect landing. Are, simone yes. Biles every time off the platform two feet stuck stuck landing i did not do that with this i talked about it a little bit awkwardly because i was having trouble exp- trying to explain what i thought about it so let me go back and explain because we've had some listeners come and uh come with some heat i would say uh <laughs> very very, very very angry you because kicked I think it, that, as it were. I think that there was an impression that we were saying that Nate leaning in to kiss Keeley was because of something Keeley did. And it was Keeley's fault that it happened. And she was giving signals like we were going down that road. I think that's what people thought.
1: Hmm.
0: And after, as I went back and listened to it, I guess maybe I can see how people thought I was saying that. Because, again, I wasn't articulate. Let me, let me explain what I was trying to say. I was not saying that Keely was giving um, Nate signals and therefore Nate was justified in kissing her. What I was saying is I didn't like the writing. Mm. I didn't like how they wrote the scene. I didn't believe that Keely would act the way she was acting that scene based on what I know about the character. I'm, I'm hitting the writing here. And I think that the reason that they wrote it that way is they wanted to create the tension that we all felt. Which was, no, Nate, don't do it. No, Nate, don't do it. No, Nate, don't do it. So they gave Keely an over the top amount of things that she was doing to create that tension that I didn't believe for the character. I thought it was kind of quick, sloppy writing to jam a scene home to make that happen so that they could deal with the fallout about it. But that, how Keely was operating in that moment, I felt like was not consistent with the writing that they have given me for that character previously. I'm not saying that Keely's at fault, that she deserved to be kissed against her will from Nate. I think I said multiple times in that, that I felt like Nate was absolutely out of line in doing so. I think I even had the quote, you should never lean in for a kiss if you don't know for sure. As a matter of fact, I'm a proponent of asking first. So let me just, let me just put that out there. I still stand by the fact that it was kind of sloppy writing and I felt like they just they really went real quick with that scene. And the idea that like she didn't do anything to make you think that Nate was about to kiss her or Nate felt like he could kiss her is obviously false on its face because we all felt the tension in the scene. Right. We all were looking at what Keeley was doing and went, oh, no, Nate's going to misinterpret that. Oh, no, Nate's going to misinterpret that. Oh, no, that's the whole tension of the scene. Mm-hmm. and I don't like the writing. I don't like how they wrote it, and I don't like how they did it. That's what? my point. That's it. Off the soapbox, Spencer, what say you?
1: Well, I think we're going to have a separate poll done as to voting you off the podcast, which you know, I'm going to put forward here to a committee here shortly, but we'll we'll, we'll get to that when the time comes. I, I think, you've, you've, what, as you said, you, you expressed your opinion on the subject. I think it came across being a bit misinterpreted by the fan base as to, how, as to how they took it. And I think they're coming from the same point you did with respect to Keely. They respect your ability to express yourself, to understand characters, and the writing that was going forward in that scene of you expressing yourself just didn't hold up to what they, the standards they'd really held for you.
0: <laughs> I will say this, that like we had one person, and you can go to our Apple podcast feed and look at it, who called us incels and idiots and I just want to say, like, I know that that like feel like when you do stuff like that on the internet, right? When you like write a review like that about somebody, like they said something you didn't like, or maybe you're on like a Reddit message board or something, and you fire one of those off or like a Facebook post or something, it probably feels really good, right? Like that feels good. Sure, to yeah. That's why they do it. So that person who wrote this app, this one star Apple review for us, calling us incels, and this, I'm sure that person felt good when they did that, but like. I don't think that's really productive and I know I'm not breaking new ground here that people aren't productive on the internet, but I'm just saying that like maybe our little sliver of the internet, maybe the little teeny lasso lowdown sliver of the internet, we can maybe not talk to each other like that. Like we'll never talk to you like that fans. We would never say anything like that to you. So like maybe let's not talk to each other that way on our little sliver of the the pod podcast of the internet. You can disagree with us, You can say that we said something inarticulately. Maybe let's not talk to each other like we're we're pieces of trash because, you know, it's just not, I don't think it's helpful for anybody. And it certainly isn't the tone that we are trying to create and the atmosphere we're trying to create with this
1: podcast. It's also just an inaccurate term when referred to me, because as you well know, I'm a misanthrope. I don't target individual groups. I hate all of you relatively equally. George Carlin-esque. That's where I'm coming from this. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I had to look up what "incel" mean. I didn't even know what that meant. You um, need to spend yeah, more I mean, time on the like, internet, sir.
1: <laughs> I I'm probably wasted
0: my time because people are people are going to do what they want to do on the internet, right? But it just kind of struck me as maybe like a a lesson of like just because you can write something and it feels good in the moment, maybe don't maybe don't go for that short term dopamine kick. You know, maybe maybe like back off of it and think like, well, I'm really talking to human beings here that are multifaceted, what? that have good and bad. Everyone's gray, as Ted pointed out. Everybody's gray. That's why there's no heaven or hell, right? That's what that's what Ted pointed out. We're like that, too. So just wanted to point that out. C-
1: can I propose an alternative short ter- short-term dopamine fix then in the form of dessert and tea for us to start this podcast off with?
0: Let's do it. I will start with the tea. Please. All right. So the tea this week I picked is? a traditional celebratory tea. Why, Spencer? Because we've reached the end. We're at the end of season two.
1: Indeed.
0: We should celebrate. We did it
1: week by what week is this, here on The what Last What is this celebratory tea? I've never heard that term before.
0: Well, it's a tea used in celebrations in multiple cultures, and it's called Darjeeling black tea. I've heard this tea. Yeah. Um, so it's made with a variant of the tea plant called Varsinesis that is grown and processed in the Darjeeling and... Uh, uh kalimpong districts in west bengal india so the tea leaves are harvested by plucking the plants top two leaves from the bud from march to november a time span that is divided into four flushes Uh, the flushes consist of first few leaves grown after that um, the basically what they do is they wait until the tea is in a, a warm wet environment like in kind of monsoon season and that's when they pull them and they let them dry and they twist them up and they smoke them and you're left with darjeeling black tea they're not smoked for very long by the way so that it's it's not a very smoky tea but i like the history of the darjeeling tea i think this is very interesting basically what happened is the british were this is back in the mid 1800s the british were seeking an alternate alternative supply of tea apart from china and attempted to grow tea in india um Mm-hmm. And in doing so, they figured out that there was only one variation of tea that did really well in the Darjeeling district that they were trying to grow the tea. Why? Because it was like a wet area. There was a lot of runoff and there wasn't a lot of sunshine. And so the Varsenesis uh, variation of the tea plant is what grew well. And from that bore Darjeeling tea. And so when you're drinking it, um, just know that it, it's kind of a product of the fact that in the mid um, 19th century, the, the demand for tea was higher than the area that they could grow it. And so they had to grow it at this place. And so we have this like happy accident of Darjeeling tea. I love Darjeeling tea. I think it's really good. I use it for an afternoon tea. Um, you know, like after pre- traditional afternoon tea time, like in the in the South here, we do it at like four or five. But like in a lot of cultures, mm-hmm. it's like two or three because uh, there is a good caffeine kick and it's full bodied and, and really, really well flavored. You ever had Darjeeling tea before, Spencer?
1: Uh, actually, I have not. And I'm curious. You've seen the movie Toy Story, right? of course shout out buzz lightyear buzz lightyear makes a darjeeling reference in that movie and i so did not know what that tea was i assumed for about five years after seeing it that it was some fantasy science fiction drink from his universe that he was talking about there had no concept he was referring to a real life tea it's really
0: good i take mine with lemon which i think is a little weird but i i like it it's more of like an american way of doing it um and uh, it's great afternoon tea. Get yourself a nice cookie. Spencer, big cookie fan. Quite a, bit. a little Darjeeling tea. And I think that's a pretty good segue to Biscuits with the Boss. What dessert do you have for us today?
1: Well, in inspiration from Rebecca deciding that salted desserts can actually be kind of awesome, I've got salted caramel ice cream that I'm enjoying in a purposefully iceboxed room so it wouldn't be liquid by the time I got to it. But I actually have been kind of fond of, of certain of addition to salt, certain desserts, and actually salted ice cream? Not bad, better than I thought it was going to be. The caramel salted kind of ice cream good. is good. Dope. I had never really had it before, but salted caramel is. This may join my roster of regular flavors. I got something for you, Spencer.
0: Please. There's a place here, and in, and in, in, I've talked before that I, I live in lovely Durham, North Carolina, that will take an ice cream cone, nice and frozen for you. Mm-hmm. Dip it in chocolate, so you get that like dipped oh. top, like oh, a Dairy Queen does. Mm-hmm. Salt flakes right on the top of that chocolate. Hmm. Boo. Magical? It is good, my friend. Yes, sir.
1: Let's keep track of that. Next time I'm up, take me to this place. I'm curious to see. I do like the salt.
0: That's something that they've, uh, we've all done a real good job as a society of adding
1: salt to our desserts. Salt. So, it is impressive the things you can add salt to just improve the experience. I wasn't expecting dessert. Should have. It's awesome. All right. Can we go to the recap? We can.
0: Season two. Episode 12, Inverting the Pyramid of Success, Recap. Take it away, Spencer. But hold on. What? When you pressed play on this bad boy, I don't know if this happened to you, there was a skip intro button. So I skipped the intro. Did that skip the intro for me? No, it did not. It sent me to a second Apple TV commercial. There was a second ad. <laughs> and guess who was the one of the first actors on yeah, that second who's that? ad? Edwin. Richard from Beep, our own Edwin. Yeah. And I. Was completely screwed up I thought that we were starting with a scene of Edwin Just driving around some neighborhood Like in I thought this was the show (laughs) Screwed
1: me up Well done on the advertiser's part To trick you into watching the advertisement
0: Yep, that's what Anyway, that's what I saw And then we got the real show recap Take it
1: away Well, we begin with Soccer Saturday Where they are discussing the news That is now dominating the airwaves of Ted's panic attack George, the former head coach of Richmond before Ted replaced him, asserts that as a result, Ted is not fit to coach. That none of the great goats of history would have had a panic attack, and that you need a captain whose brain works in a moment of disaster and a moment of need. The other oh shit, that guy is. It, we've never seen it. I discussed unredeemable characters previously. Didn't even consider him because he's so insignificant. But George has to rank fairly high in terms of he's the unredeemable characters in this show. Dinks. The other hosts clearly don't agree, Jeff even looks into the camera and, with a pained expression, just says, "I miss Roy. We all do, Ben. It's okay. Ted's watching this, God help him, and turns off the tube and is flat alone, eating his one giant shredded wheat that he became fond of after season one
0: that's uh that's high on my list of things to buy when I go to to the Great Britain yeah uh, the... is to get the yeah, the cereal box with the one piece of shred, yeah, absolutely." <laughs>
1: Well, he immediately starts getting a series of uh, supporting messages from the various women in his life that have been rather essential to his well-being over the course of his recent years. First one was from Rebecca. Well, from two.
0: One is essential two. to his not-well-being.
1: That's why I said years rather than, rather than this year. Previously, Michelle was, I'm sure, quite nice in his life.
0: Okay, I just can't uh, take an opportunity to smash Michelle. I
1: have, well, to, I have to take every d- one of those. I can't. We're going to discuss it here. Uh, first one's from Rebecca, encouraging to fuck the haters, very Rebecca. Next Ooh. one's a voice message from Dr. Sharon, repeating yeah, her yeah. Old line about how the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. One of my favorite lines of the season.
0: I feel like she's branding that for a book, like she's got a book coming.
1: Uh, please, if that's not the first line of her book, or, or the title, she's wasting money. That's uh, good. And then, perhaps surprisingly, a late night, her time message of support from his ex, Michelle. Meh. Um now sadly i said I, these are seemingly three women have been very important in his life in the recent years sassy doesn't make an appearance i'm sad to say maybe next time uh but you, the, well
0: it uh, i think the the rating of the television show can't uh, allow for the text that sassy <laughs> sent. that's my guess sassy sent a, a a more a more mature text
1: okay that's canon now thank you i appreciate that that just altered mm-hmm. my head canon Um uh, it's the latter of these messages, though, which seems to affect him the most. The one from Michelle, uh, where yeah. he immediately offers a knock-knock joke uh, in seemingly return to the old times. And Who's there? For, uh, Europe. Europe who? Poo- Europe late. Ah! So fucking a dad joke. I uh, love her it's...
0: response, though. Haha, you're obviously yeah. fine.
1: And for a moment, it looks like you know they're falling back into a comfortable old groove until he pushes it just a little and asks why hey. she's up so late. And we she closes up fast, we get the three disappearing dots that the shows love to do this season, and Ted immediately realizes he's crossed a line. They no longer have that kind of relationship. Um, he sadly shakes his head and acknowledges to her that it's no longer his business and just thanks her for the message to which she does a little heart she uh, reply. It, yeah. Uh, With a sigh, he sets his phone down, and he sets it pointedly in a way that we get a picture of Trent, the article, Ted, and his son all in the same framing shot, which is symbolic as hell. And with that shot coming to an end, Ted cuts to heading outside, where the whole world has now been changed by the presence of this article. And not only the original Trent Krim article, but everyone now releasing their own copied version of it, adding up the tenor. Uh, The paparazzi are waiting, Yesterday's Papers by the Rolling Stones, the song I quite like, is playing, and Ted walks through a sea of brutal headlines and people treating him differently, some even appearing to be, like, even concerned to be too close to him as if he's a live wire risk in some way. Luckily, Beard, his rock, is waiting for him on a bench with coffee and company the way he well should. He's the best. Beer—it's the best, and it's interesting to see the different kinds of support you often see, somewhat stereotyped between support, support in uh, relationships with women and support the relationships with men. Women—they offer words of support, they offer words of emotional connection. The guy—he's just coming to be there with you and share a beer or a drink, and that's very much emblematic of a lot of how those relationships work differently And comes. To that I know, control, and that like, that right?
0: like—I feel like that's a personal affront to me because I am totally the. Let's talk about it. How are you feeling? You type are, of type of dude. and
1: you are the outlier of our friend group. As a result of that, for that very different way of handling it, it's delightful, but it's different.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I know what you're saying because that is kind of the trend, right, between the sexes. But like, I'm totally like, the, hey, man, let's 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 talk this out.
1: Yeah, it's stereotypical. It's not universally true, but it's a trope for a reason. Yeah. Uh, as he sits down, though, for a moment of peace, and it looks like he's going to have that moment of peace. The old man fan walks off and wa- offers a line that is so boomer I hadn't even pondered it existed of, if my father had a panic attack at Normandy, we all be speaking German.
0: Uh, professor? Please. Fact is, your father might have had a panic attack at Normandy. A lot of people <laughs> had panic attacks at Normandy. A lot of people yeah. wouldn't leave the boat. A lot of people stormed, ran backwards. Like... This room. I love the romantic view of the boomers. Like in Normandy, everyone charged ahead, no problem, all brave. Like, like listen to any of the first person accounts of that, or pretty much any other war, and they'll all tell you, like, yeah, like sixty percent of us did, but like fifteen percent of us shit our pants and like ran away.
1: Yeah, if you actually listen to the Greatest Generation, they're they're quite honest about it. But a romantic view among their children, as you know, completely banished the actual narrative. But, but he's
0: not done there, yet.
1: What I love, though, is when Ted just kind of offers a very muted acknowledgement, the old guy stops, turns around, and instead offers, just do the work, pal, you'll be all right. And then he offers a smile and a thumbs up and he heads off. And this just, in my mind, proves what we've kind of oft pondered about this old guy fan, is that he's the quintessential antagonistic fan of where he loves you, he loves the team, he supports you, but the way he supports you is by constantly ragging you. That's what he enjoys doing.
0: When he this, said "do the work, pal," what did how did you take that? What do you think he was talking about?
1: I, th- I think he was just saying, "Mate, it's okay. Do the job. We love you. Just do just do the work. This will you'll, you'll weather through all this." That, that was okay. my interpretation.
0: Yeah, because my wife and I had different interpretations of that. Because when he said "just do the work, pal," you'll be all right. I said hey, that's not how that works. Because I was thinking he was telling him, "Just do the work, and you'll be your anxiety will be okay if you just work," but her take which sounds like it's your take as well which might be might be what most people thought was hey man just do the work and, and you'll get by this crisis right. of the press
1: it's a similar advice a bit of advice he gets from other people too is that just and particularly may it's just this is a news cycle it'll pass. the new thing they have to talk about do the job and prove the haters wrong and i appreciate we get this from this guy because it really just clarifies that he is actually a supporter as much as he loves to just mess with ted that's how sure. he gets his fun Beard claims to not know a thing about what what that just was, even though there is very obviously a copy of the paper with Ted's face on it sticking out of his back jack, his back pocket. And then we cut to the intro, and this at forty two at four twenty eight in feels like this is one of the longest delayed intro we've had this season.
0: Uh, it's the longest one of this season, second longest all time, longest still season one episode seven, which is five twenty five. Gotcha. Second longest of all time.
1: Uh, it's a long episode in general. We're going to do a lot of long things as we go through it. Uh, Higgins, Keely, and Rebecca are admiring what is a truly lovely flower arrangement. That's a, it's a well-done flower arrangement that's arrived on her desk, coming from Edwin Okofu. Uh, Higgins and Keeley uh, hear the first part of the card as sorry for your loss and assume that it's a lovely message sent oh, by him with you respect you must have heard to... about your father. Oh, of course, what a nice man. She's not done with the message, though. It continues, But we will give Sam a very good home in Casablanca. Cocky fucking asshole that's oh. in that kind of card right now. Still a nice gesture. No, it isn't. He hasn't accepted yet. This is just balls-to-the-wall asshole confidence right there.
0: Yeah, but Higgins is on fire this episode.
1: Yeah. Higgy uh, Bottoms
0: has a good episode.
1: Well, and yeah, Rebecca asks him, you know, do you know anything about what Sam's got to decide? And despite the fact that Higgins has been offering his best cool Denzel Washington nods, as you can see in Sam walk down the hallway... Doesn't have any additional information about what Sam's going to decide here. Damn fine nod, though, that Higgins is able to bust out in this moment. Oh, shit, that was cool. It really was. I, I, I love Higgins' line, too, about, yeah, I saw that, and I was like, I'm taking that. We, we've, all, we've all done that with certain things we've seen in media. For sure. Ted arrives for another round of Biscuits with the Boss, offering What's the Story, Paul Shorey. Ted's back. Gotta love it when Ted's back. He's back, baby uh keely offers ted some condolences and ted ponders briefly the accuracy of the old expression that there's no such thing as bad publicity versus the v- clear accuracy of b- uh beer before liquor which is that one's absolutely true pause do yeah. you
0: uh would you have like a common saying that you think is false because like ted's basically saying this common saying no press is bad press is is not true however mm-hmm. the the beer before liquor not sicker i don't know whatever it is. basically don't drink liquor after you drink beer well um is is true? I've got one, a piece of common wisdom that I think is just plain wrong. I'm sure, I got one too. But you are first. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. I think is not true. <clears throat> absence sure. often makes the heart grow absent.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things where it only works if they're still thinking about the thing. And absence can often make other things appear in your mind, and other things just fade into the mist. Yeah. Anybody so, yeah. who's
0: transitioned like a in-person relationship to a long-distance relationship can tell you. Absence does not often make the heart grow fonder.
1: Okay, I've got one that was a grammar rule that was taught to me both in school and by friggin' peanuts. I before E except after C is bullshit. It's wrong more often than it's true, but they will repeat that agnosium when I was a kid.
0: God, yeah. Way way to keep kid's head on a swivel with that one, man. Damn, just uh, don't tell them that at all. Like, it's not helpful.
1: If your objective is to prove to them the English language makes no sense when it comes to spelling due to massive vowel shifts and... Great Plague era altering of the English language? Sure, fine. But maybe that's a little bit too early to teach them that kind of philosophical lesson. Yeah, for God's sakes, the British put you in favor. This, yes, this is true, and I love the show brought that up. Uh, Keeley starts to go after Trent and Rebecca determines that she's going to use her own resources to find out who the source was, but Ted quickly speaks up for Trent. He's just doing his job and confirms that he... As he, as I love that he expresses that you know he's one of a few good men and he does not need to. He, he can perfectly handle the truth here in this situation. I can handle uh, the truth. The advice then is by Keeley, and it's good advice. Avoid the press. Just don't talk to him. Don't give him any ammunition. Focus on the match, and then also focus on not losing the match because otherwise Higgins may well die. Don't
0: lose, Ted. I beg
1: you. <laughs> don't you worry, Higneton. It's I'm on it like a bonnet. God, Ted's back and we love it. He's uh, back! Uh, Rebecca realizes that the bite of the biscuit that she had, that it is anything but what she expected, and Ted apologizes for the likely scenario that he switched the sugar with the salt nearing his very rough night last night. You ever done that?
0: You ever switched the salt sugar?
1: I've like found that? many inventive ways to butcher anything I've ever tried to bake. Haven't done that one. Very different containers, very different consistency. But I imagine it could happen.
0: Only ever done it with coffee. Dump some salt in my coffee. Oh, that's
1: that's not good.
0: <laughs> There's some cultures that do that—that that put salt in coffee. But are, I, do, are, I do not like. Are them. you one of those cultures? Indeed, no.
1: Okay. Uh, Rebecca slowly though becomes convinced that these are interesting, a sneaky, salty bitch along Heather Locklear and Melrose Place kind of lines. which The room, good one. Um, yeah. Room seizes on that is like that is a nice. perfect descriptor. I have added something to my life now. In the locker room, uh, the hard sell by Edwin. And this is, you, you've, you've done marketing before. This is very much a hard sell that he's pushing right now. I would say hardest. The hardest. Uh, he has offered a personal note and a selected Casablanca jersey waiting for Sam to arrive at his locker. Sam seems impressed. This is still Sam kind of starry-eyed when it comes to this whole proposal. Can I give a
0: sports a sports guy perspective here? Please. Like, I I been honest on this podcast i don't know a ton about soccer i do know this about athletes they care about their number a lot this yeah. is a like kind of a faux pas on this a part.
1: massive assumption
0: to just take like to assume what his number is going to be like care players really care about what their number is going to be he should know better than that i i,
1: I actually didn't remember to check why 10 is he number 10 on richmond i don't know
0: no i think he's 12 on richmond yeah so he, it's not the same number
1: I'd be curious to know what the reference is then there. I can't, can't imagine he just pulled he it out of thin air. He just picked a number,
0: which shows that he's just kind of... Uh, he's the... pre- he's, he's a, little, a little presumptive, which the... is the shocker.
1: Oh, let me, let me go a little bit farther. Is he the egotistical asshole that I assumed he was last episode? I think we have evidence for it by the end of this episode. All right,
0: fuck it. Let's do it now. Okay, you, you, broke, the, you broke the ice. Thank you. This is the... Sp- this is a Spencer episode because you also got every fucking thing right. Like, it's what? unbelievable no, not how much everyone. you got right. Not you everyone. You got so much right this episode. I was annoyed by it. I was watching this episode <laughs> at, 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 at doing something else. I was, I was on a stair stepper while I was watching it, and I was just frustrated at how often you were right. Uh, last episode, I got in trouble doing the ding thing with the Keely Nate conversation. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. didn't like the ding. Maybe they'll like the ding a little bit better this episode. Because I'm going to ding every time you fucking got something right. <laughs> so I'm going to start with Edwin Akufu ding.
1: I had subtle concerns with the guy last episode that he was presumptive, that he was pushing too hard. There was an element of him just being really false pretenses attached to that. I didn't expect the scale we'd get by the end of this episode of how much he proved himself to just be a childish, very much the heir of a billionaire child throwing a tantrum when he didn't get his new favorite toy. But man, did we get that before this episode was done? Ding. Uh, As I said, we get the Casablanca jersey. Sam looks still kind of amused and enjoying it all. Certainly likes the attention, if nothing else. Beard, meanwhile, is reading one of the first soccer books we ever saw him read on this series. I think he was even reading it on the plane when he arrived at one point. And it's all dog-eared with, like, all the little dividers now. I love that little little Great touch. It's Inverting the Pyramid, the History of Soccer Tactics by Jonathan Wilson. A classic soccer book indeed. It's a good one to read as a foundational kind of text for the thing. As he's reading that, Jamie walks in looking for Roy. We get the absolutely hilarious beard line of, Hey, is Roy here? I have, are, do you hear You're any coming. grunting? That's perfect. You don't. You, no need to actually visually know if he's there. If you hear grunting, you have signs. If you don't, he's gone. Jamie acknowledges this, walks off, followed by Nate coming in to look for Roy. Hello, Nate. I adore the interactions now between beard and Nate we're getting in this series it's great beard's a great character and I love we got to spend more time with him but his ability to just stare someone down and look right into their soul is
0: epic it's so good because Nate's like is Roy uh, is Roy here um and nope. and and beard just goes no have you seen
1: this like <laughs> <laughs> holds up the article right in his face I, just I love that him. beard saw through it in a heartbeat beard's it's on point that Beard would be smart enough that he wouldn't have any need any leading by the nose to get to who was the source.
0: Well said. I love that they gave that character that, that he just knew it immediately.
1: Yeah, it's on point, and I like that kind of distinguishing these other characters about what is their specialty, what do they offer to bring to bear. Beard has his tactical acumen and intelligence that he can bring to the situation, and that easily allowed him to solve this problem, as we discussed the, previously. Deductive
0: powers. Right? It's not going to be him. It certainly isn't going to be Ted. And, I mean... Logic yeah. would tell you Roy is not the guy. And
1: what are the odds... Roy probably some... forgot it. <laughs> and, and what are the odds it's Dr. Sharon or some other third-party source? Probably pretty low Fucking when it comes Nate. to this. So, Nate immediately tries to avoid the real question that's, you know, implied behind this, while Beard just stares right down into him, brow down, looking at him. You know, if Beard wore glasses, he would be definitely, you know, like, looking over his glasses as he stares down Nate. For sure. But... Before that confrontation can continue, Roy comes in and breezes past them to head straight for Jamie, with just beard pointing out, Jamie was looking for you. Oh, Oi! Tart! tart! I love that Jamie points at him like, me? Is there another tart in the locker room? And he hauls Jamie off to his side room. But before the inevitable pummeling can occur, Jamie asks to speak first. Roy, for practical reasons, agrees that's probably a good idea because it's hard to talk without teeth. You know, challenge. And Jamie, the little bastard, when offered an opportunity to speak his piece, offers a proper grown-up, my, how far he's come, apology. He admits what he did, that what it was was wrong, that his head was messed up. Yep, sir?
0: Professor. um, Yes, sir. I call bullshit on Jamie's apology.
1: Okay, let me finish it, and then you can call bullshit. Fair. Uh, That uh, he... that, that. it was at a funeral, and that his head was fucked up as a result. But that's no excuse, and that he respects Roy and Keeley and their relationship, and he won't do it again. Now, sir, you offer that this is a bullshit apology. Explain your position. You've got twenty seconds.
0: Well, it's it's bullshit in a in like a twenty percent vein. Like in the, in this sense, he does love Keeley. He he's doesn't say he doesn't.
1: He doesn't say he doesn't.
0: Right. I, I guess what I'm saying is that the the spirit of it to me is slightly disingenuous in that he's basically saying, like, I shouldn't have done that, which I don't think that he really believes that. Like, I, I think there's probably a large part of him that's happy he told Keely that because it is true. He does love Keeley. And I actually, if I was Roy, I would have gone a different tact here. I would have said, don't no, Like, thank, well, thank you. I mean, I guess. But you do love her. Dude, like, don't fucking what? lie, like, about this. Like, I, 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 I don't I see it, what. I, I think acknowledging that for me might have been might have been more healthy what? for me in that
1: situation, as opposed what? to leaving it unsaid. I understand that, but in my mind, they are all just seeing as the elephant in the room. They all know he still loves Keely. That didn't surprise them that he feels that way. What surprises them is that he would breach the ethical standards between them of just saying it to her in some way trying to interfere with the relationship, or at least appearing to do so. He's not trying to deny he still has feelings for Keely. That's out there now. No one can banish that fact. If he tried, it would be obvious bullshit. He's instead focusing on the fact that, regardless of how I feel, I can't really control that. I should not have done what I did. It was disrespectful to y'all. It was fundamentally improper, and I won't do it again. That's all the right sentiment. I just can't think he can say anything about the fact of how he feels about her because he does. That's apparent now.
0: I I thought it was a little bit more of a surprise to Roy that he still loved her than maybe you're, you're characterizing it there. I I thought it surprised Roy that he, he he
1: still loved her. And he, he would say that that's a fair point. Roy, I think was probably surprised by it. Don't think Keely was, I don't think Jamie was, I don't think necessarily we as the audience were, even if we hadn't thought about it, but Roy was probably cold cocked by that a bit,
0: which is why if I was Roy, I'd say, no, acknowledge it. Like, don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, let's, for me
1: anyway. Uh, I love Roy's reaction to this, because whatever you want to say about the words Ah. he picks, it is a sincere apology by his mannerisms and by his tone. He really does mean this. He really wants to convey this. And fully expects he's about to die, too. So it's one of those, like, you know, deathbed confessions that are admissible in court, because obviously you wouldn't lie about them kind of thing. I do Um, think
0: that it was, I do think it was sincere in that he didn't, he he was sorry he disrespected Roy. Yes, and Keelan. Because he does respect Roy, but I, I do
1: think he still loves her, so there's that. I think, I think there's also an element too of where he feels bad for Keeley that, you know, it put her in a horrible spot when it came to it too and hurt their relationship as a result that they'd have to confront that kind of shit. So I think he's firing broadly with this situation and he should. for my girl Keeley. Awful. Awful. Um, now, but Roy's reaction's lovely. Him charging go fuck but even before he says that, the actor's great. I love Britt Goldstein. He does a great job. But... He physically almost looked like he swelled for a second. His veins are pulsing. His body's getting bigger. He's looking like that scene like, you know, Big Trouble in Little China where the guy blows up for, uh, blows up at the end. I've got, got the sound effect himself.
0: for that Roy because he does this multiple times. Here's yeah. the sound effect for it. You ready? Please.
1: <coughs> <laughs> it's that noise. Yes, it is that noise. Yep. It's, it's little Joe Pesci just burned my hand noises from Home Alone kind of thing. Yeah, there you go. That's good. I like that. Uh, He just says fuck He heads off Leaving Jamie and a Will Who got stuck in this situation Just very confused About where to go from here Will is such a hero He deals with some awkward shit (laughs) Will is the guy That supports the team Without any ego And is there for them Like a proper kid man should Yeah look at that Woo Uh, Keely meanwhile Is fielding calls From Pierce fucking Morgan Who wants to moderate A session between Ted And a celebrity psychiatrist Because of course he does Hey, Spencer, we're positive here on the Lasso Down, right? Yeah. Positive yeah, people. Very much so, yeah. How do
0: we feel about Pierce Morgan?
1: <laughs> not, I'm not going to answer that question if you're going to put that brain. on there. Me either. Let's <laughs> move right on. Uh, before uh, Before we exit the scene, though, she gets an email that we don't know what it is, but it sends her over the moon with Holy excitement. fucking shit. More excited than we've ever seen Keely before. On the pitch, the team circle up. And Ted opens with discussing the article in whatever format they may have seen it in, given the wonders of modern technology and television refrigerators. I do not own a television refrigerator. I cannot imagine ever doing so. But apparently all the team does because they're in that income class.
0: I still get the paper because you can't cut cartoons out of a phone, right? Yeah, but you can screenshot them and text them. Isaac. Copyright. It's copyright infringement, bro. Spencer, is that a thing? Yes, it is. No, I'm saying like taking a picture of screenshotting a... Like, like a, a, let's say you pay for a paper, right?
1: Technically, technically it's only for using it for your own, for your own financial purposes. Otherwise it's arguably fair use. Got it. Uh, we, uh, Ted offers that, you know, his point here, regardless of how they experienced, you know, cartoons or otherwise is that they should have heard it from him first. And it was a dumb choice for him not to do that, that we make choices every day from Greek yogurt, which I agree with Ted is horrible. And I won't be told otherwise, uh, Your expression says you disagree. I don't understand this
0: shot at Greek yogurt. I thought we all understood Greek yogurt fucking rules at this point. Where the hell did this come from?
1: It's cottage cheese that's being offered as if it's something other than that. No, it's It's, vile.
0: Cottage cheese is great. What the hell is happening? Ah!
1: No. I'm so all, confused. You're all wrong, including everyone in the world that I know that disagrees with me on this point. Greek yogurt has taken over the world. To Put that on a t-shirt.
0: You're all wrong, including everyone who disagrees with me on this point. <laughs> <laughs> what a great Spencer line.
1: My personal oh, philosophy embodied fucking, right holy there. Holy shit, Greg, this is a weird shot at Greek I'm yogurt. mostly. It's one of those things where I understand people could have varying different views on this, but the fact the entire world seems to disagree with me just strikes me as if someone else must think greek yogurt is terrible ted does i'm appreciating this someone a fictional character agrees to be on the subject of greek yogurt great if you're Uh, gonna write in
0: to to trash spitzer on greek yogurt be be considerate
1: i am ready for it please uh and then also taking jobs that you're arguably unqualified for on the other side of the pond which that one worked out okay as it turns out in turn when it comes to choices that regardless whatever of these, he can't seek to do a, do a do-over, though. Choices are like loaned Chicago Bulls starter jackets. Shout He'll out! Get them back.
0: Love that. Starter that jacket. is a it's shame right there. Love those old-school <laughs> starter jackets. Nice,
1: nice gesture to loan it to a friend who got ketchup on herself. Absolutely horrible. He never got it back. Um, in his words, a choice is a chance. And he dodged that chance to build further trust with them by telling them what he was going through and what he was feeling. Uh, he quotes... And I'm just going to say it the way he did, the great UCLA basketball coach John Obi Wan Gandalf, that it is our choices, gentlemen, that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. Now, I actually know where that quote is from due to another podcast I do pottering around. That's Dumbledore to Harry Potter in the Chamber of Secrets. That's before that. it's...
0: It's Gandalf to the Hobbits. In the middle there, it's Obi Wan to Luke. So, and in it's somewhere in that from that It's John Wooden in a book to all basketball players everywhere. I actually it love. Has that it has been redone every time, exactly. in each in own way. Yeah.
1: The closest version I I googled to be sure is the Dumbledore quote. That's the closest to the exact words that he used. But the ex, it is a a sentiment which has been repeated agnosium in every hero's journey you can possibly imagine.
0: Yeah, I just love that he mashed up John Obi Wan Gandalf because like it just acknowledges the fact that like everybody says this is kind of trite. But like it, I don't know. Like I in, in a way, like I'm kinda of kicking myself for going on the Greek yogurt tangent because I think I've undercut how great of a scene this is and it's how powerful it is. And and I just want to point out the leadership here shown by Ted, because he has had something happen to him that is upsetting. And it is absolutely um Uh, upset his world and and could be something that could really get him off kilter and his it seemingly his first reaction is
1: how does this reflect
0: upon the choices that i've made and what is my personal responsibility here to the people i care about based on what's what this is what has happened here and the first thing he does is go to clean up his side of the street which is to tell his players hey guys i screwed this up it wasn't the poor me, look look what people no, did to me not. that our, our boy Nate would be doing. He immediately thought, how does this reflect upon my relationships with other people? And let me act upon that. And that's great, great leadership.
1: It's great leadership. And I love how he frames it too about that. I wanted to tell you all this. I'm sorry I didn't because I really hope you'll never hold anything back from me. I love the framing on that. I Fingers love the focus nut. on that. It's absolutely great. The team responds exactly as I would in those circumstances and say, coach. We got you, out. coach. We got you. We got you, and then they go a bit farther. They go a bit farther and say basically they're going to do a witch hunt to find who the rat was. Apparently, drawing equal influence from a mix of Full Metal Jacket and all the president's men when it comes to how they're going to go about this.
0: Follow why, the money. Why? Why the socks full of soap to the stomach and chest, Spencer?
1: Uh, why do that? Yeah. Uh, I think I think the argument is it doesn't leave a mark or something, but it's so not. The face true. doesn't At all. bruise exactly. It, you can't see it on bullshit. the face. bullshit. Bullshit still it does that and it hurts like ever long oh no it bruises
0: know. but like when you have a when you have clothes on you can't see it sure very much sure we're gonna fuck uh, them
1: up follow the money uh thank you bumper Catcher. uh beard corrects ted on the nip it in the bud line which everyone does wrong horniculture baby, baby. Uh, uh and ted focuses the team that no, no 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 we need to focus on the fact we have a false nine plan nate the great's false nine plan we're gonna make this work that's what we need to focus on for right now
0: nate last episode Comes up with false nine. bet Ted's just going to take all the credit for it. He's just not going to give me any credit for it at all. First thing out of Ted's mouth, Nate the Great's false
1: nine. He never refers to it otherwise. It is always Nate's plan. He's always giving Nate full credit. I love the just twisted psychology that Nate's going through, that by the end of this episode, he sees that now as a dig and an effort to, you know, hurt Nate by Ted. God, that guy's just gotten wrapped up in his own psychology.
0: I know. I'm so excited. I get to do my favorite pastime, which is psychoanalyze people, and I'm gonna
1: fucking put Nate on the couch this episode. You got a great scene in terms of unpacking that in downright Freudian terms. It's happening. Uh, uh, however, as Jamie Jamie points out, they do have one small problem when it is to starting <laughs> training. Edwin Akufu's freaking helicopter is still on the pitch. Which I love that he's mu- that much of an asshole douche that he just left it there and he's just been hanging around the stadium since that this is his parking Ding. lot Yeah, Roy uh, whistles them off, and I love that he just says whistle, whistle. Again. whistle. Hard metals—they're rough on his lips—and they run off to the, to the secondary field. Keeley walks into Higgins's office to be as surprised as I was by a pack of greyhound <laughs> puppies that are in there barking at Hick- House. I'm uh, amazed they didn't do this earlier, and I, that's several aspects of the episode, that they're great. I just think they could have been a lot more powerful if they were done earlier in the season, because they would have made more sense to at least do or reference at some point earlier in the season, now before the very finale. Yeah, they've so, gone like five months since the Greyhound died in like
0: 30 matches. Like, why are they replacing him now?
1: And there's several of those scenes of where they're great callbacks to episode one, way too late! Like, they're great moments, but they would have been so much better if they'd been hinted at, or suggested, or done, in episode five or six rather than waiting all the way to episode 12 to get to get there but we'll unpack that at the end he's picking greyhound puppies he's doing a mascot idol the semi-finals with the two final competitors being macy greyhound versus tina fayhound wonderful names
0: voting for tina fayhound uh,
1: doesn't tina fayhound win? actually i think yep and
0: that guy's my has my vote
1: it's a great name uh they are all from barkingham palace which uh you know, honestly, for a pound, this seems to be an unusually large population of pure-breed gray-pound puppies, but the owner, Susie Campbell, London's premier all-female dog breeder, is a dog breeder, so maybe this is a bit of a side pet project for her, too, and also running the fucking uh, Buckingham Parkingham Palace. Little, little
0: tough for a dog shelter to have a dog breeder associated with it. Sort of different scopes it's there.
1: It's scope very, great. A lot of dog shelters also don't like to associate with dog breeders at all. No, for... uh, especially pure-breed dog mm. breeders. It's a real yeah. problem. There's a history. There's exceptions, of course, but there's a profound history of abuse and outright murder that often goes into purebred dog breeding. So, yeah, often they don't associate and put in the same polite circles.
0: But, life lessons with Lee. Now, by no means am I telling you what to do in your life. Just going to say, if you're thinking of buying a purebred dog, just just go to the go to your local shelter and walk around first. Just,
1: that's it. Just walk around. Um, now uh, it's on top of being a. a Apparently, competitive dog breeder, all female competitive dog breeder. Uh, Susie is also, um, I would say, rather stereotypically gay in the Butch sense and makes no bones about the fact that she is very into Keely. Yeah, and I so, love, love yeah. that Keely is just legitimately flattered by this and is in no way awkward about it. That is on point for what Keely has gotten used to dealing with in her day to day life. Emma. Here's the thing. Am I comparing Nate leaning in and kissing
0: her when she doesn't want to be kissed to this lady's kissing her head? No, it is not the same thing. It oh is God! Not what are you going to do? It's not the same thing. Uh, okay. Like, what Nate did is absolutely inappropriate. should not be done. And I am a big proponent of asking women before you make any physical move on them. Literally ask. Like, it's okay. Ask. Mm-hmm. I do think it's representative of what Keeley has to deal with in her life as a sex symbol in Great
1: Britain. That's fair. She just
0: deals with crap all the time. And like this lady, I'm sure it it was thrown in as a joke. Most people probably didn't even really think about it. But if you just think about Keeley's life, she just deals with crap all the time.
1: That's a very fair point. That she is so used to people flirting with her in various levels of aggressive or even taking it to actually physical gestures in various ways that she's just... Sadly, well trained at rolling with it, which is an unfortunate position in life to be with. This, as you said, is perfectly. It's in the category of friendly, polite, even if it's a little bit overly flirty for an initial meeting kind of thing. Guys Gally out there,
0: rolls with don't, it. Don't kiss a woman's hand when she Like, just don't. Don't do what this lady
1: did. I just want to We're,
0: point that out to all my guys. Unless out there. she's guy wearing got a locker room, don't do
1: it. Unless she's wearing like an elbow length white glove in a black <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a in a full black tie event. <sighs> Kissing her hand is usually going to be something of a very bygone the era. the pearls and the
0: cigarette extender.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Unless she is Audrey Hepburn. Not allowed. Can't do it. Okay. Uh, now, Keely asks for the room. And uh, when, when the, two, the two dog people leave, along with a couple of the puppies. I think Higgins keeps a couple during the conversation. Uh, she tells Higgins that the banter backers want to finance her opening her own PR firm. Big fucking deal. Shows again how far Keely has come this season when it comes to her own professional capacity. I wish we'd gotten more time spent seeing it in action rather than a few data points, but I am happy for her with how far she's come.
0: Spencer, how yeah. fucking good is she going to be at running a PR firm?
1: Unbelievable
0: just, she's going to be so good at this. She's great with people, great interpersonal great skills, great marketer, and she knows how to like actually develop marketing plans for people that like progress over time.
1: The thing we haven't seen, which has been an unfortunate kind of departure from reality, is that working for Richmond, she'd be running a team. She'd be running a variety of people under her. We have yet to see any situation where Keely has been running or coordinating subordinates, which would be a key part of her job as a CEO of a marketing firm. That we don't know yet because the show has given us nothing to set that up yet. Yeah. We've gotten a lot of data points that she's good at marketing, that she's good at working with people, most of it being off-camera, but we've seen the successful results, including just her... Booking banter and solving all of their sponsorship problems off camera.
0: Yeah, I was just I was just extrapolating how good she is like her soft skills.
1: Yes. I think she's got a lot of skills that would come to bring to bear, and I'm assuming that she's also good at these other things that we just haven't gotten to see. Okay. I just would have appreciated we gotten to see if, a bit more of them. Higgins in the moment though is just really flattered that she came to him, though Keely immediately <laughs> clarifies that it's because well, you're the only one I actually can talk to about this because the other two aren't available and Rebecca's part of the problem. So,
0: you know. This is what happens when Spencer comes to me with his with his problems. I'm like, oh, thanks for coming to me. Like,
1: well, you know, you were the
0: last person
1: I had a yeah. chance to talk Literally, to. Literally, I texted the entire list and no one <laughs> responded. And You always respond to my text in two minutes. So, you know, yeah, you appreciate it. Thanks.
0: Yeah, nonetheless, sit down. Yeah. Let's talk.
1: Still appreciate you being here as my eighth choice. It's great great to have you. Thank you, Higgy uh, Bottoms. She clarifies that yeah, you know, uh, Higgins then goes through just a list of misunderstandings as to why Keeley is scared to, you know, reveal this information. Uh, which, dude, advice, and Higgins, I, don't, I wouldn't think I'd ever have to tell you this advice. When someone comes to you for, you know, advice and support, let them talk first. <laughs> let them explain what they're actually there for and need from you. Let them just vent. That can be a key part of it. Don't jump the gum and start talking first because you get this situation done three times in a row. He was just as, so
0: excited to be involved. He was
1: just coming out too hot. So happy to be a part of things. She clarifies that she's scared of telling Rebecca that she's leaving because Rebecca's one of her best friends and she doesn't want to appear ungrateful for walking away from the amazing opportunity that Rebecca gave her. And that's real. That's very much a feeling that I can understand fully as to why Keely would have that. Higgins, finally understanding, now on the same page. Let's fly a sage line of Keeley, a good mentor, hopes you'll move on. A great mentor knows you will. Woo! Higgins! That was great, man. That's a really good line. It's a great line. I very much agree with the sentiment of it. The precise accuracy of the statement can be debated to a certain degree, because a lot of times mentors actually want you to stay and grow under them and with them and alongside of them, rather than going elsewhere. But the sentiment, I 100% fully agree with. Hmm. Uh... Sam, meanwhile, is walking down a beautiful tree shaded street next to a park. He's ch- it's a beautiful it's a beautiful co- uh, a tree line walkway. Uh, he's chatting with his dad about the decision he's facing, and he's struggling, thinking that it would be crazy not to accept this. But the fact that he says that says he has a lot of doubts about actually accepting this because you never say it'd be crazy not to accept this unless you're really thinking about not accepting this.
0: I honestly because I, I watched this twice, right? Because I watched it once and then the second time with my notes. And the second time through, I actually thought he had made, like, I, I, I think he's made the decision to stay when he's talking to his dad. Like, I think this is, he's talking as someone who has told his dad already, I think I'm going to stay.
1: It, it, it came across as a bit of, I need my dad to validate my decision to do what I want to do here. It, it came across in that line that he was hoping his dad would just agree with what he already just kind of decided, or at least was thinking about doing. He's not certain yet, but it seems like he's already, at this point, leaning towards Stang. Yeah. His, da- his dad offers that he's overthinking it, that you just need to wait for the universe to give you a sign, which is advice I hate. I hate that advice. I've gotten it several times before. And Sam also just seems to not Big hold God much guy stock in that Spencer. either. <laughs> Big God guy. <laughs> you know this. Shut up. Uh, but it apparently worked for Sam's dad because by waiting for the universe to tell him what he needed to know, he married Sam's mom and bigger one, he bought Bitcoin in two thousand and nine. Professor, please. Follow up
0: question for Sam's dad. When did the universe tell you to sell Bitcoin?
1: Uh yeah, that's the really big <laughs> question to ask right there.
0: <laughs> a lot it, of people bought it in 09. Not a lot of people held it to 2021.
1: What well, I would dispute many people bought it in 09. I was double checking the history. It was worth nothing then. It had only oh, yeah, created yeah. Yeah. at Fractions the beginning of, of two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. It's it, it was first created as a concept in the beginning of 2009, and it was un- an unheard of curiosity outside of, like, cryptography forums at that point. The I first people who bought it early, and they sold early. Yeah, they bought it when it went up by ten times. It went from a penny to a dollar or something, or a hundred times in and that And they sold it, and they, they made, like, 500 bucks, and they are like, woo! And they, they were so happy, and they bragged about it. We have several friends that did this. Yes, uh... I looked, I'll double check the first commercial doc, documented commercial transaction involving Bitcoin. Do you know what it was, when it was, and what it was for? No, fire away. May 20, 2010. So, again, long time after that. And it was 10,000 Bitcoins were used to buy a pizza. Nice. It, and think about was, how many,
0: yeah, 10,000 Bitcoins now, obviously, for like $40 well, ten, million dollars or something.
1: I I double check the price as of today. If you had spent ten thousand bitcoins on a pizza today, you would have bought that pizza for five hundred and fifty million dollars. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. It it's shocking what the price of Bitcoin has done. So good <laughs> to the dad if he bought them and kept them at any point thereafter. If he did. Man's worth some money, probably. And
0: remember your crypto password, your crypto wallet password.
1: That's another yeah. life
0: lessons from Lee out there. If you're gonna buy crypto, get a crypto wallet. It's the only secure way to have it. And by God, remember your password because if you lose and, it, it's gone forever.
1: And also hope that if you bought it that early, that one the, whatever program you're using didn't get hacked in the many years since. Because in those early years, they were the exchanges were getting hacked right and left, and people were losing their ass
0: yeah shout out coinbase coinbase give us a sponsor here on the lasso lowdown (laughs) gladly do a live read for you coinbase only secure only secure publicly traded coinbase company
1: you can pay lee and Dogecoin. uh they share a laugh over this story involving sam's dad this is clearly a story that he's referenced all the time in the past to justify any of his decisions that oh you think i'm wrong i bought bitcoin in 2009 clearly i'm right in all things it's funny uh and they say, they express very much sincerely that they love each other. And as Sam hangs up the phone, though, he turns to his right and sees in the park a diverse collection of young people playing soccer together. And one of them's wearing his jersey. And another Ooh. couple have that visible little tape mark across the Dubai Air logo on the front. Yeah,
0: of look at that. Sam, Oh, of a might protest. be the most popular guy on the team now. That Roy, Kent, Roy Kent's a coach
1: and ja- yeah it's one of the things where jamie was previously but then he left and i don't think he's built back anywhere near the no, same level of popularity uh, he had sam's before the he guy now yeah for Sorry sure much so uh when he sees this he smiles he nods and it appears that the universe has unlike his dad in that circumstance validated the choice that i think he was already looking to make i
0: think at this point we know the no, yeah. uh, the you know sam or ted rebecca I do not know but i think
1: we know sam stan uh, and I'm what I'm guessing is Roy's flat because I don't think we've seen it as much before. Uh, Keely and Roy are in the kitchen, and it's Keely, not as nice either. Yeah, Keely has her hair down, and kudos to her; looks good with her hair down. Gorgeous uh, lady, stunningly. Absolutely. Uh, Roy reveals that Jamie apologized to him, and that Ugh. to the shock of them both, he didn't murder him or even hit him once. No uh, worse. Fucking forgave him. It's disgusting. Keely is, isn't it? both Keely and I are very proud of him right now. Ugh. And transitioning to that moment, Keely reveals her own news. Working through Roy's joking that he's made did Ted actually make a pass at you at this for fuck point?
0: Fuck's sake, don't tell me Ted try to get off with you too and all.
1: Uh, after both Nate and Jamie, reasonable enough concern. Everybody's just going for. Him. Uh Keely tells him instead Including that, the dog breeder. Including the dog breeder, yes. True. Everyone <laughs> is. <laughs> Uh, she tells him, Sid, that she has this new PR firm opportunity. Roy is over the moon excited for her, Ooh. too, saying that she's get to, she's going to get to be a CEO and shit, and so they promptly share a good stog, But with a little concern starting to seep in, and this is a concern yep. I really wish they'd set up a few episodes ago or been building up for a while. Because this is a lot more interesting to me than the little relationship triangle drama that they've been said focusing on with, between them. That the idea that he's in some ways starting to feel a bit separate from her own life that she's building and feeling a little bit inadequate, that she's, you know, becoming a boss and setting her own picture that in some ways feels like it's outside of him. That's interesting. That's a fun kind of point to explore more. We get a beat of it here as he says, look at you, the boss. Not going to have time for me anymore. Set your pretty mouth. Yeah. She immediately silences that.
0: But... But I will say to your point, and it's a great point that I think they could have set this up a little bit earlier, but I also think that it is – it's very, very good writing, and it's a very believable angle from Roy because he also is dealing with the immediacy of retiring and feeling like the world's kind of passing him by and, a little bit. And this is also his girlfriend's life passing him by a little and, bit.
1: And that's why I would have loved if they'd made the entire season about this tension between their relationship rather than the little uh, couple squabbles that they've instead done, which have just felt like every other show's already explored. And they even joked about the fact every other show's been exploring them. They set up that vein with Roy being uncertain in his position, life in episode one, and it was good then. And then they kind of left it behind until now, going into a now and Keeley finding her own footing. This could have been a theme throughout the season when it came to tension in their relationship that I feel like they've wasted by only hitting it at the beginning and the end. It's yeah, still they'll lovely they'll here. Probably hit it
0: in season three hard, from what I can tell.
1: I suspect they will. Yeah, uh, we get a quick cut breaking up this scene a little bit oddly. Uh, yeah, That's strange, right? Why didn't they just do that one continual scene? Yeah. We get, we get like five seconds of Ted and uh, Ted and Beard yeah, here, and then another another roaring key was scene and then back to Ted and Beard. Whatever. It's not great editing. Ted's eating crisps and Beard is fielding relationship messages from Jane. Will they, won't they, are they, aren't they? Who knows? May brings over some pints and reassures Ted that the news cycle will wash out. Because he looks over and sees uh, her former paramour reading the, reading a paper right there in the friggin' pub.
0: Snatches that bad boy right out.
1: Snatches right out of him, but he's already read it, so whatever. Still, it's a nice little scene, but I don't know why they couldn't just attach it to the other one they got a second later. Yeah, it just, they just
0: didn't cut it in a way that flowed, I think. I think we agree.
1: Yeah. Back in Roy's flat, uh, Roy is determined that they're going to open the good bottle. I feel like every Woo! house has a, every house in like an our group has the good bottle in some way. Uh, because they haven't celebrated any of the very odd list of good things that they should have celebrated in the past, including Keely's mom moving north. I can understand that one. Uh, England getting zero points in Eurovision. I don't quite get that, but I'm assuming it's just a very British response to the circumstance. More on that in the sports center Top 10. Looking forward to it. And the neighbor running over his own snake in his driveway. Sure.
0: Okay, that works too. Keely's reaction to that really cracked me up. I that that love... actress is real, f- f- she's good with physical comedy because that whole like body shutter thing she did was real funny.
1: The noise she made too, you, you encapsulated it perfectly. It was lovely yep. right there. However, before they can enjoy that drink, they're interrupted by a ding on her iPad as a preview of the new Vanity Fair article has arrived. Uh-oh. Uh, and as we look at it, the first picture is on point. That is yeah. a very solid first picture for what they want to convey in this article. The title, on point. The structure and flow of the article, great. The second two pictures? She's the boss. They're lovely pictures. I don't think they quite fit as well as the first one did in terms of their theme, but still, it looks like it's a great article for her and her image and what they, people better understanding who Keeley is and what she has to offer. It did seem like not, a
0: sliding scale of sexualization, right? It started with just like a, almost like a corporate picture, like something you would see like, you know, in your like a, for, from a for, company and right, it, from then Paige it, it Burnett, slid into like her laying on a couch with like her hand between her legs.
1: Like it was like really at, a really weird transition her like, there. Her like an angel outfit, I think was the third one or something. It, it was the odd choice, but whatever. We don't understand high fashion. We've discussed this. First one, I agree that that'd be like a lovely image for her, like about me page on her website for her right. PR firm kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Notably, though, what's missing, though, beyond anything else, is Roy. Despite all the time they spent with that photo shoot between the two of them, all the lovely pictures they took, how much fun they had for at least the first 90% of it doing it, he's not in any of this. And I bet he's not even mentioned in the article either. They made this very much about her. Now, it's one of those things, and Roy agrees later, that from a thematic standpoint of what the article's trying to do, kind of better that it's just about her and just about pictures of her and just about telling her story... Honestly, having relationship images would be a very different article and go in a different direction about it. And I perfectly buy that from an editing standpoint, honestly. But you were going to say something, yeah? But don't don't do the shoot with him. I know that's the issue. That's the
0: obvious thing, right? Like I completely agree with everything you're saying. It, it thematically, like let's let's focus on her. Like you don't need to validate her through her
1: relationship with her boyfriend. No, like you don't no, even no. need to that's talk about her boyfriend. <laughs> but why take the pictures with Roy? Now, th- that's the issue, is so that they effectively just, you know, they were clearly misrepresented to about what the nature of this article would be, about what the nature of the images would be, and they were cold-cocked as a result, and that's not fair to them. it mean, see what effect it has upon them. For Keely seems pretty pissed, or at least shocked by this. Miwi says, you know, I'm going to call him, we're going to change it, this is unfair to you, but Roy says, don't you dare. Don't you
0: change. I don't think she change. was pissed. <laughs> honestly well, she, don't. I think she was, it was like a
1: token thing she was doing. As soon as Roy said, don't do it, she said, okay, I won't. Yeah. I think she, what she was is that she was really concerned that he was hurt. How about exactly. That? That, yeah, that's yeah, what, yeah, more sure. what I mean there. She was pissed on his behalf. Yeah. Uh, he says, perfect line from Roy. Don't you dare. Don't you change a fucking thing. You look powerful. You're fucking gorgeous. You look like a bilf. Which I've never heard that particular term before but I knew immediately what he meant. Oh yeah. Go on. Show me then. Uh, and they have a delightful make out, carry upstairs kind of moment. Back in the pub because we're Back there now. Uh, Beard asks Ted, what is he going to say? When is he going to say anything to Nate? Well, I mean, yeah, eventually. You may have noticed through the years I can be quite Yeah, Yes, Ted. Yes, you can. Uh, Ted tries to play it off at first. uh, What do you mean? What do you mean? But Beard just does the beard stare that just makes people talk. It's like, no. Ted immediately realizes that Beard knows he should have done before if he didn't already. Uh, Ted offers his own philosophy though When it comes to things like cats, babies, and apologies You gotta let them come to you
0: Spot on with all three
1: Yeah, Spot Spot on on. Perfect choices, right there Um, Beard says though And I think he's really correct about this eh, That's not gonna happen when it comes to Nate Not gonna happen He's not in that category Some people, you need to give a little push And if you don't it's more hurting you than anybody else because you keeping all this tension inside, I'm kinda getting worried that your mustache is just gonna pop off your face.
0: Which then I'll look like that fella from the hangover.
1: Uh, Bradley Cooper?
0: You're too good to me. i love obviously, that little moment. Obviously talking about the fact Jason Zudakis looks a lot like Ed Helms.
1: I love that little moment between the two of them. It's so tender. It's so you know mark of a good friendship. And I love that it ends with you know Ted's little line about that and Beard you know them grabbing a drink and saying you know I actually like your mustache. <laughs> the scene just
0: ends. Yeah, yeah, they're good. They're good together for sure. They're
1: they're very they're a very good friendship. And I like the moments they share with each other. Keely meanwhile is having her own friend moment of where she's arrived in Rebecca's office wearing what looks like an adorable pair of red overalls. They look great. Yeah, it's uh, big right
0: now. It's big right now. The, the overalls, the onesies. Are very they? in. Very in.
1: Really? I did not know yes. this. Yes, very in. I'm removed from all, all scenes current. Uh, the moment they're having, though, hard cuts to them just crying up a storm together. Yeah, it was uh, funny how they just cut so their Yeah, just the, the waterworks have fully started. The waterfall, waterfall is flowing. Keeley says, you helped this panda become a lion, which is a great callback to season one. We get a lot of those. This feels like a bit of a season one episode, particularly with all the callbacks to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rebecca expresses how proud she is of her, but unfortunately their very tender moment is interrupted by the news that, as we suspected, Rupert has bought another Premier League team, specifically Um, West Ham um, United. um, Do do I get a ding for this? I think I called this. Thank you. Uh, They share a laugh over the universe, finally balancing out the fact that Rupert, despite giving up the shares and vaguely appearing, you know, generous in that moment at the funeral, is actually a self-serving conniving cock, which wonderfully expressed right there. Keely confirms, though, that Richmond is her only club, and that she would never dare work for Rupert.
0: I agree that. I don't think they're going to go that route.
1: Absolutely not. Um, Hmm. Rebecca offers her one last little bit of boss advice. Hire your best friend. And, okay, okay. You had the same reaction I did. You kind of flipped. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's, in my mind, it's a harkening back. You love West Wing. We've discussed West Wing many a times. Yeah, remember Bart Remember Bartwood's advice about who you pick for your chief of staff?
0: Yeah, it was something along these lines. Yeah. Do you have
1: a best friend? Is he smarter than you? Would you trust him with your life? That's your chief of staff. It's that kind of sentiment. I actually would really encourage you not to hire your best friend as one of your employees. It could work out horribly. But I, Maybe in a closely held small company. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know.
0: I'll address this later in the TEDx Life Lessons.
1: Okay, I'll be curious to unpack it. This can really cut both ways, and it's something you should kind of be careful with, with having that kind of close outside-the-office friendships with necessarily somebody who's working under you. But the show clearly does not have that many concerns about that, as we've seen.
0: I can't hire you. You won't leave Florida. You can't hire me. I don't work that hard. Yeah, that really summarizes that
1: situation quite well. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, this moment really just reiterates what I said previously. I really wish the season had focused more on the professional growth and the professional side of these characters and their relationship as a result, because that's a really great aspect of both of them that I feel like has been under on this season to instead focus on re- much more classic boy-girl relationship stuff, which I have not found as interesting. I thought it's been the worst written stuff of the season, whereas the professional stuff that they're talking about and teasing this episode is great and reminds me of how much I liked it back in the first couple episodes. Agreed. Uh, no more time for sad moments, though. It is game day. Game day! Game day! Woo! And as the fans march into the stadium and end the pub, and it's one of my favorite songs, Don't Bring Me Down by Electric Light Orchestra, begins to play Great in the locker room. Uh, Roy is offering supporting words for everyone there. Little moments, Dapping words of up. wisdom. them up. Doing his thing. Until Jamie comes in for the fist pump, and Roy just blatantly ignores him. Just walks away, forcing Jamie to fist bump himself. Very uh, popular
0: now uh, among athletes, by the way, on the bench. You know, a you, uh, player comes off the uh, field or court and does the hand hand slaps. And if if one player misses it, you know, mm-hmm. one player has your hands out and, and they miss it, you do the do yourself. You, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: it's very popular right now. Uh, Edwin and the uh, handshake assistance guy, I think Francis, have also arrived down the VIP box to watch the game.
0: We only uh, learned his name because Ted knows his name, right?
1: Yeah, for, of course Ted knows his name. Of course yeah, Ted knows his the, name. that's the funny part. is that We never know this guy's name until Ted's like, yeah, Francis. Like, of course he knows. Uh, maybe Edwin said it when, like, you know, I don't shake hands, but Francis here does. But I don't, I, regardless, Ted at least remembers it in a way that none of the rest of us do. Uh, while this is all happening, though, Nate is just staring up at John Wooden's pyramid of success, the wall hanging. He's just staring at it, fixed on it. To the have point you ever that even. Read, pi- have
0: you looked at the pyramid of success that John Wooden created?
1: No. You know, honestly, I've never really looked in the boxes. It's just like a fi- fixture wall hanging kind of thing.
0: I'm going to share my screen with you and I'm going to talk about it just a little bit for our, our audience. Um, Please. I'm curious. Because it is, I'm going to say,
1: stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Lord, sir. You just challenged one of the fundamental philosophies of the sports world right there. Because it's all over the place.
0: Well, how the hell do you make heads or tails of this? Google Google peer, pyramid of success, John Wooden, mm-hmm. and the image that you get up. I don't know how you make heads or tails well, of this thing. I'll well, just give you just a smattering of some of the words on this. Reliability, confidence, poise, skill, condition, team spirit, self-control, alertness, initiative, loyalty, friendship, industriousness, cooperation, enthusiasm, ambition, adaptability. How do you make any sense of this?
1: Well, I mean, it's also one of those things where you've, you've given me advice on various you know like uh, PowerPoint presentations I've done in the past. Uh, would you describe this as being overly wordy to actually convey any information in, an ide- in, a, in a digestible format?
0: Yes, this is the problem. It doesn't. You, you can't make heads or tails of it.
1: Now, it's also just buzzwords. It's a, it's buzzwords embodied, and that's why it's used. It's the classic team building buzzword shit kind of thing. No I think like it's that. junk. Uh, it's very popular though. Uh, and it's something that Ted hangs up on his wall because of course he would. It's something like every coach has. And he. Nate is just making it seemingly almost like his religious idol. To the point that Beard and, like, Roy are, like, looking over at him and looking at each other, just shrugging. Is like, why is this guy enthralled staring at the picture on Ted's wall right now?
0: Yeah. And so disconnected from us.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Ted walks in and uh, interrupts what appears to be Beard, uh, Roy going over to you know, talk with Nate for a moment. And offers, uh, you know, hey, are we all on the same board doing Nate the Great's uh, false nine plan?
0: You'd be fools not to.
1: That is the most douche, self-absorbed thing that Nate could ever say in that moment. It was almost remarkable. I would almost gasp at just how just narcissistic that line is.
0: We have a we have a heel turn. This is a wrestling turn. This is a heel turn. It's, Nate, it's already Nate has happening. done a heel turn here. Yeah, so basically what happens when in wrestling, is you have what's called a baby face. This is the hero, the character that um, the wrestling fans are supposed to cheer for. This is the face heel turn. And in order to create um, tension and to, you know, throw the, the fans uh, out of whack and keep you on your toes, they often will turn the baby face what they call heel. Heel is the villain. They do this mm-hmm. over a period of time. They can't just take Hulk Hogan and make him N.W.O. Hulk Hogan. Nobody would with the, with the With the snap of your fingers. They have to give little hints... That the character is not quite the baby face that you expect. And usually it results in little clothing changes, mm-hmm. little, little move changes that they do. And they, they do this just like in wrestling in the show, right? Because Nate starts to dress a little differently. His hair goes from black to gray slowly and it gets all gray right at the end. You mm-hmm. have these little hints that he's changing and becoming heel. At this point where this is right now, this is Bash at the Beach, Hollywood Hulk Hogan has come out. He's the third (laughs) member of NWO. He is Mm -hmm. full heel. The crowd is booing and throwing their hot dog wrappers and empty drink cartons at him. That's what's going on right now. Full heel.
1: You also notice he appears to be wearing the suit that he actually went out and shopped with Keeley for. Yes.
0: The all black.
1: I can't believe he bought that after that moment, but apparently he did. And is he dyeing his hair gray? that's the debate all the fan base is having now he's either dying it or the stress has gotten to him to the point that it's going gray. I'm favoring that he's that much of a douche that he will not have the image of it. the dying it to you know add that element of maturity and banish the whole boy wonder thing that he was unhappy with or wonder boy but
0: they have written I mean I mean go on that whole diatribe about Heel because now they have created he's all, he's almost he's in that redeemable category now Yeah, they don't he is as what, bad as they could write him the rest of this what, episode. He's
1: still Darth Vader to Rupert's Emperor kind of thing of where there's a there chance might be Anakin in there somewhere.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I've always kind of thought Nate was self-absorbed and kind of a dick, so I'm not sure there's an Anakin in there for him, but I don't know. I, we'll see.
1: I got hope, and I think it'll be curious to see. Cause they, that plotline can go wonderfully in either direction of either he can be redeemed and they spilled the season around that, or he can't, and they actually go that direction to the surprise of everyone. Either way, that could be great, but I love Nate as being a focus of the next season as the adversary. That's a great call on their part, and we've kind of predicted it. I like that they're going in that direction. Agreed. Uh, Ted, uh, the other coaches try to ignore the just utter douchery of uh, Nate on display, but they all agree to the plan, and Higgins does too, having been forced to relocate because, of course, the puppies shit all over his office while they're there, because that's what dogs do. Puppies. Dogs. But puppies even more so. Unbelievable Uh, shot at dogs right there. uh, I know, dogs and pregnant women. I've just been firing all over the place this season. I know, and I'm the one
0: catching shit from the listeners.
1: Unbelievable. As said, I hate everyone, and they understand that. Uh, Ted (laughs) opens the floor uh, if anyone else wants to talk. And after a struggle, though, Roy suggests that maybe, possibly, Uh, theoretically...
0: uh, I could use some uh, uh, advice. Advice. Yes, advice.
1: I love her Beard and Ted are just shocked and excited, like little squeeing school children about this. But Rick clarifies Even Nate's
0: confused. D- Nate trying yeah. to disconnect from everything is still kind of
1: like, what is that? Rick clarifies, doesn't want to join the Diamond Dogs. No. <laughs> just want to maybe be in the room, possibly, while it fucking happens. Uh, Ted offers him a one-time visitor pass to their junkyard dog, and they all agree, kind of. How would you describe Nate's reaction to this scene of we're inviting Roy in? Wolf, is it is it that he's not happy with it, or he's just too cool to be associated with any of these guys anymore?
0: Um, I actually have that line. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I I think that Nate is doing a couple things here. One. Is I think he got a job offer, or at least told was told by Rupert already that he wants to. So Nate already is starting right. to elevate himself. I'm, I'm head coach too big material. For, I'm t- I'm head coach. He's material. too big for him now. Too big for this this silliness. So he's he's already too cool for school, right? But he's also doing this thing of he's made a decision that part of him is torn about. And so now he is recreating a narrative of the situation to justify his actions. And that's what he's doing here. Oh, this is lame. They're not including me. They're letting Roy into this. Every single thing is a narrative to justify the decision he's already made.
1: The entire prior story has been rewritten in the idea that everything's been an attack upon him. And he's just been forced to overcome it despite them. Right. Uh, Higgins, uh, you know, having learned earlier in the season that Higgins cannot make it through that window. They, you know, decide he's going to stay there. Thank you, Alanis. Good call. And They uh, give Roy the floor and he tells them, and I love this scene about the photo shoot with Keely and being excluded from the article and that it, it hurt, um, his feeling, um, his feeling singular. I love it. Singular feeling. You see, you see me. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's happening right now? as big as saucers. yeah uh, Higgins tries to commiserate with his own struggles with a rare smile allergy, but uh, both Ted and Beard agree that that's really not the same that's situation not at all. The same situation. Uh, and Roy focuses on the fact that, though he was omitted from the article, she looked fucking great on her own, without him. Great, so natural great acting
0: and um, vid- like uh, uh, filming and directing in the scene. Yes. As soon as he says this. They do a cut as soon as he says the line. She looks so fucking great on her own without me. They cut to Ted, and Ted shudders. Why?
1: Because Ted recently divorced. Yeah. You see, that kind of language is a bit of a trigger form for what the kind of thought process is going through. To, um, yeah, Roy's it's head really right great, man.
0: It's such subtle, subtle, great thing.
1: And it's very much. It, it shows just how much Roy is now feeling outside of where she's going and separate from it. That you know she yep. looks so natural, and it, to the point that it would be weird if I was there. That's a wonderful line. Uh, and adding on to that, fucking Jamie you know, told, told her that he loved her at the funeral, which shocks the room. I love Beard's reaction of, and he's still alive. Like, caught off I off Ted. Everywhere. Whoa. Ted yeah. t- did the thing that I did. Whoa. Uh, Ted, you know, they don't really have to think to add to this other than just appreciate that he's been barking at them. And Nate then, because he can't not be part of every discussion, uh, takes the opportunity to confess to Roy what he did as well. And I love Roy's reaction. It's just great because it's utterly flippant. Just like, yeah, I know. Kiwi told me. I forgive you. And Nate is offended. He's offended that Roy just so doesn't take him seriously as being any kind of threat. Doesn't even mer- barely even merits a footnote in this discussion. And See, it's getting.
0: Mm-hmm. That's what Nate takes it as, right? Nate obviously is like, he's saying that like I'm not that, like that, this that, is that what is Nate's thinking. That is I'm where not, Nate's coming from. Yes, I'm not in the league or whatever. But the reality of the situation is Roy is taking what Jamie is doing more seriously because Jamie has dated Keeley for a long yes. period of time. And he's He'll saying he loves her it. as opposed to like, he's just lusting for her in like one moment, right? Like yeah. it is a very different, much more heavy thing that Jamie's doing considering what he's saying and the history that they have. And Nate, if he wasn't such a self-absorbed asshole would realize that. And it's not about trying to place people in social tears. It's about like the actual history of the situation. So fuck Nate. That's what I'm saying. Well,
1: You, you want a bit of a toxic masculinity moment. The fact, that Nate views views his relative importance by how much he thinks Roy would want to hurt him in, that, in this moment just says volumes about where Nate is coming from right now. That he only has value to the degree Nate uh, Roy headbutts him right here and right now for challenging his relationship. I also want to stop here and yeah. point out
0: that Roy is minimizing what Nate did saying it's just a little mistake. It's not a big deal. We here at the Lasso down are not minimizing it. Yes, yes, I yes, do yes. Think it's. I do think it's important to say, though, that Roy is minimizing it maybe more than I think should be done because it's not a cool thing what Nate did.
1: Well, I, and that's where I think to a certain point, the footnote thing has a certain degree of accuracy just because in terms of relative tiers of the things that he's going through right now in his head, this is a clear number three when it comes to this discussion. If not, four he's worked it out with Keeley. Keeley's okay. Yeah. That's what he really cares about. They're fine and worked it out. You just don't really matter when it comes to this right now. I understand what happened, whatever. Yeah, eh,
0: just treating it like a like a fuck-up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nate's very offended by this, as we've discussed, the point he almost basically demands that Roy headbutt him. Luckily, Beard's there to assist if uh, if Nate really wants a headbutt right now. But to your point earlier,
0: that Roy kind of does know that... Ja- like, even though he apologized that Jamie does really feel this, mm-hmm. this might be evidence for it, right? That he... Still is upset about what mm. had happened and he takes it, it. There's that that stark um uh uh there's that stark difference between how he's treating yeah. the Nate situation and this because he knows it's serious because he knows Jamie
1: was telling the truth. Uh it's I also love that when Nate makes this revelation, did you see what Beard's face did? It was almost just like a rolling of eyes of what uh, again <laughs> with this fucking guy? Jesus yeah, Christ. Was, what that's more? exactly
0: what it was, again with this fucking guy. Yes. Yeah. That like of course Nate did that. God, yeah. this guy sucks.
1: I, you know, Beard offers to help assist him with headbutt administration. Roy is really interested you, in this. Roy is really just not interested in this conversation anymore. And while Beard just kind of stares down Nate of where you shut up, you leave this moment, Nate storms off in a huff. Uh, Roy's shocked that the Diamond Dogs are often just about chatting and about shit without actually solving problems or changing the world. And expresses that he thinks that's kind of cool. And in terms of best reactions of the entire season, Ted and Beard's reaction to that is like, it's like tween girls meeting a teen idol for the first time kind of thing. They barely can just keep in the fact that they're going to explode as little, as little puffs right here. Just, and their season one plan was to get Roy in their camp, to break him down and He's love how he'd knows. react when he did. And it finally is starting to work after all this time. It's great.
0: Great moment here where Roy says, wait, so sometimes the fucking diamond dogs. is just, ch- it's just chatting about shit and no one has to fucking solve anything and nothing fucking changes. Great lesson in that for all of us. It is that a lot of times when people are struggling with something, talk. they just want to talk. And like, yeah. there's the impulse. If you care about somebody to want to fix it, sometimes saddle that impulse, just let them talk. That's what they need. It's much more healthy. And you they don't feel that super pressure of like, you know what you need to be doing? You should be doing B-b-b-b-
1: Yeah. The opportunity to vent is often more cathartic than actually getting advice on the subject. Uh, at the game, Richmond is behind by one. The one nil, point- one nil, and the announcers are pointedly criticizing uh, Nate's false nine strategy as being too big of a change to make at the eleventh hour. Last game of the season, why are they changing the game plan going into this? It's too stark. It's throwing the t- throwing the players off. Uh, as the half is ending, it gets even worse as Brentford scores again. Two nil now, yeah, 2-0, going into halftime. Nate is freaking out, blaming the players, immediately trying to disassociate himself from this plan entirely as best he can. Nate's such
0: a dumb fuck. Doesn't he realize that Roy, I mean, he does. But Roy is an ex-player. When you say, you say something like, how many fucking times I have to tell you, stay back. Nate has never, Nate's not a player. And that's obviously going to offend Roy. He has, he's just no social acumen.
1: And all the other, whatever he says that, all the other coaches, Ted actually starts pushing back. It's okay, it's okay. All yeah, he other, does, does kind of tell
0: him that's enough of that, yeah.
1: Yeah. As much as Ted would say that's enough, he kind of does it there. In the locker room, the coaches are discussing the plan and what they need to do. While well, the players, in Ted's words, really do look like a renaissance painting of masculine melancholy. It's a beautifully framed colorful shot. Can we shot put that on a
0: t-shirt? Come on, Ted Lasso. Put that on a t-shirt.
1: That'd be great. I'd buy that in a heartbeat. Uh, Nate wants to drop the plan, blaming the players entirely for it failing. If they were good enough, it would work. What a Asshole. shit. Uh, Ted disagrees, though, thinking that, you know, they've had 45 minutes to explore it so far. They've learned what not to do. This could work going forward. We should stick with it. Looks at Roy, and Roy says, how about we ask them? They're the ones that are implementing it. Let's check on that. Thank you. That is very much something that Ted would agree about. He turns to Beard. Beard's exactly on the same message, and as much as they want to stick with the plan, let's check with the players on it. They're the ones that are having to implement it in the moment.
0: And that a former
1: player would think to say absolutely uh they head out uh, Nate looks disgusted at even the suggestion it's like he's looking slant-eyed at even the idea they're gonna ask the players about strategy and advice because he's an asshole uh, but they head off and they ask the players and the players seem like legitimately shocked to be asked like they're just shrugging they're confused no one's ever asked us that before eh, we don't know what to do but luckily for the only time this season these proved useful at all Jan Moss stands up is that Jan Moss's music it it's Jan's time, is, it's Jan's it, time Stand up And it's one of those things where I found him an annoying character But this is the moment it reveals Oh, this is why he's been set up this way the entire season Is for Inter- just this moment Jan. Yeah, it's because everyone knows He's going to speak the hard truth You can trust him what he says as being coldly accurate And he says here The plan's good, we can do it We're more than capable of making this work And everyone's like Well, it's Jan must It's true, man's never going to lie to us Yeah, I would never lie to you. Like, Zoro, you really messed up that first goal. Oh, yeah, it's you, you asshole. Right, yeah, okay. Uh, It's... Ted determines then, based on this, and based on his own good wisdom, I think, about sticking to a plan that they've already been putting in motion. Okay, this is the idea. This is what we're going to make work. Nate's Falstein plan is a go. In fact, he refers to it as Nate's Falstein plan, same way as he has the entire episode... Now Nate's looking at him like he just stabbed him in the back. Yeah, you're trying to blame this on me now that it doesn't work. It's uh, so,
0: everything is in this, like, credit, like this
1: currency of credit. Right. Everything's about, I'm the protagonist of this universe, and everything is to, done to my own aggrandizement. And if it isn't that, if it anyway can go negative, it is an attack upon me and the story that this world runs on.
0: Capitalism of
1: praise that he lives in. It's just so Ooh, toxic. I like that. Capitalism of praise. That's a good expression. Uh, Ted calls him in for everybody to to lay hands and share a team moment. He looks in and sees that Isaac's still sitting down. He's not there. Team captain is absent. Come on, Isaac. Instead of joining hands, he walks through them, breaks (sighs) the guard, and reaches up. Places his hand on the believe post. Yes. No words said. Nothing conveyed. He just places his hands up there, and all the other players, the players, go over and join him.
0: Richmond, all three. One, two, three. Richmond.
1: Richmond. It, it's a great moment. It really shows how, again, we've seen a few little moments of Isaac, not as much as Roy last season. He's never been as much of a big character as a captain as Roy has been. But we've seen a lot of moments that he's come into his own as being a leader of this team. And this he's a, is good, a, very he's much a good captain. He's have given event. us enough, I think we can we can they, say. They, he's good, man. Yeah, they, they've, they've given us enough at this point. It's a, it's a great moment where, again, Nate kind of looks on disgustingly at it that the players have made this their own moment rather than his. How dare they? Clear-ass full can't lose! Uh, Nate storms off again, seemingly in the middle of a freak out, and rather than follow Buddy out to the pitch, just retreats to his office. Ooh, Ted Here we go. Yeah, Ted goes to check on him. If you want to do a psychological unpacking, here is your scene in this moment. Yep. I'm gonna I've I'm gonna paraphrase you, you, you have it written down? Okay. I've got it. Let me open it up and then and then we'll go into it. Uh Ted goes to check on him. Asks him, you know, you doing okay? Is everything all right? Nate sarcastically says, very sarcastically, yeah, everything's okay. Ted pushes him, he's like Dude, you obviously are mad at me. You obviously something's gotten in your crot. What do I have to learn here? And I love the way Ted says that. That's so Ted that you know. It's not that I just want to find out why you. Yeah. Hate me, what so what can I learn that. From,
0: from this? How can yeah.
1: I be better? What has caused you to feel this way? He's validating it immediately in that way, in the way, the way he's phrasing it.
0: Which is the bedrock lesson that we push every week here on the Lasso Lowdown, right? Is how to turn these complicated, difficult, painful situations in life into a positive for you to gain and to grow. And that is exactly what Ted's... Like, natural impulses here.
1: Yeah, Nate isn't on the same page for that right now, though. No. Uh, He instead proceeds to launch into an absolutely brutal takedown that would maybe be fair if directed against his own father, but borders on nonsensical when put put on tit. If you have it, sir, please.
0: You made me feel like I was the most important person in the world. And then you abandoned me, like you switched out a light just like that, and I worked my ass off trying to get your attention back. To prove myself to you. To make you like me again. But the more I did, the less you cared. It was like I was fucking invisible. You don't even have the picture I gave you up in your office. Just a picture of dumb Americans. And now you're going to play Nate's false nine. So when the team fucks up, which they will, you can blame it on me. Well, no, fuck that. Everybody loves you. The great Ted Lasso. I think you're a fucking joke. Without me, you wouldn't have won a single match. They would have shipped your ass back to Kansas where you belong with your son. Oh. Because you sure as hell don't belong here. But I do. I belong here. This just didn't fall in my lap. I earned this. Okay, here's the here. I'm gonna I'm putting Nate on the couch here. Please. So here's the the primary problem with this is that Nate deals in that that currency of praise. Everything is about he only like everything he does is rooted back towards someone telling him, hey, you did a good job for that. Hey, you get credit for that. Like everything is, all of his motivations are all externally driven. Like it's nothing about like, I'm doing this because I know it's the right thing. It makes me feel good to do it. It's all about what can I get other people to say about or think about me, right? And you, you made a great point, which is he is putting way too much on Ted here. Now, Ted did not start ignoring him. So I'm not sure where that came from. And that's what I was getting to before, which is I think that he's starting to rewrite history to justify his own actions. He wants to go be a head coach somewhere else. He wants to run things on his own. He said that multiple times last episode. And so now to justify it, he has to say, well, why would I sever ties with Ted? Oh, well, Ted started to ignore me. We know that he put Nate's picture up in his own home. It's framed in its own home. Next to his son. Yeah. Yeah. And he says just a picture of dumb Americans. He's got pictures of his family up in the fucking office, like dumb Americans. It's an unbelievable thing to say to Ted. And then to say that he wouldn't have won a game without him is, is silliness. Obviously not true. It's absolutely crazy. And then to say, I earned this is a nutty thing to say because. but. Well, but, but it's a crazy thing to say to Ted because Ted's the one who noticed him, promoted him and gave him a chance. Like. Yeah. Like what are you what like you know, like it's like you promote me, Spencer, and then I go, you know what, Spencer? I did a lot of hard work to get promoted. It's like, well, no, I know head. I'm I the just, one who promoted you. Exactly. Me. So it's a it is a zigzag of craziness that I think a couple main things are happening here. One is that all of his motivations are externally driven. And that's yeah. a very toxic, negative headspace to be in for anybody. And that's turning him into a heel. And two, is that Um, he's rewriting history to justify what he wants
1: to do. I I think that's a great call. I mean, it's one of the things where, as we said, a lot of this is just factually inaccurate. And in terms of, like, you know, I earned this, draw the point of contrast between that moment and Keely and Rebecca, of where both of them are going off to do their own opportunities, but Keely's afraid to tell Rebecca because of how important it was to her that she gave her the opportunity. It's a very similar kind of situation of where, we didn't see anything that Keeley had a background in terms of marketing, particularly running it for a for a for a major team. But Rebecca gave her that chance, and she rose to the occasion. Nate was a kit man. Everyone acted like it was insane that Ted gave him an opportunity to be assistant coach, but he rose to the occasion. But while Keeley is giving all the credit to Rebecca for that happening, Nate, as you said, is rewriting the history as if Ted played no role in it whatsoever and didn't take a really? risk in terms of giving the Nate the opportunity.
0: And in reality, great points. And in reality, Nate doesn't have to rewrite history to justify his actions. Why? Higgy Bottoms told us, a great mentor knows you're going to move on eventually. And Ted would have been totally okay with him moving on to be a head coach somewhere else. He'd have been happy for him. He'd have thrown him a party.
1: Yeah, he might have had some commiserations on the subject of Rupert, but he probably wouldn't have told Nate that up front. He probably just would have been happy
0: and excited for him. You know Ted would have been like, Nate the Great's going to be a head coach,
1: party on. He would have been so happy for him. Absolutely. And it's one of those things work, particularly like the first half of this, it just screams daddy issues to me. It just screams that to what degree are you actually talking Cooper's about your not. dad here and the coldness of your dad and you have accomplishing things, but your dad never giving you the acknowledgement that you actually wanted. So much of that was like, dude, Ted's not your dad. You see him that way for good reasons. I think in some ways he's the dad you never really had from a lot of perspective, but... You can't blame him for the problems that you have with respect to your father and the abandonment issues that you have as a result and the lack of love you have in your life as a result. But it seems to be what he's doing, because he can't mentally blame his dad for a lot of what he's going through, and so he's placing it in Ted's lap instead. despite Ted absolutely deserving none of it. So it's a really rough scene. As much as we're attacking Nate here... Good God is this actor good. He sells this scene hard. It's a perfect encapsulation to, as you said, the heel turn that he's on. Love it very much, even if we can just factually pick it apart. But I think we're supposed to. As you said, this is Nate already rewriting the narrative for the sake of his own ends and purposes, and we're seeing that in real time. To a degree, I don't even know if he's consciously aware of it. I don't think he is. I think he's just having so desperate to justify the decisions he's making and what he's feeling that he's just subconsciously tearing apart history and reassembling it as he needs to. But, back in the... Well, Ted agrees, essentially, with him on the last part, that you are in this. You deserve to be here. And that I'm very much sorry if I didn't tell you how important you are to me. Which,
0: I, I, I think, think they, Ted... I think Ted's struggling with that one, right? Because it's like, ugh, you're putting a lot on me. I, I have to address this, but you can tell there's a little tension in him as to how to even talk about it.
1: Well, it's one of the things that we're... It's becoming apparent to Ted that he didn't understand Nate as well as he hoped. And that this is a guy that has been suffering away from him. And that he's been not noticing. The way he's built his life around about talking to people to see what the suffering they're hiding from the world. And he missed it with Nate. He didn't come to Nate in a moment where he clearly needed to a long time in the past. And I think regardless of the accuracy of what Nate's saying, Ted is taking that one on the chin.
0: I think it's an unfair thing to say. I mean, it. I think it's unfair, I don't, but I think I, it's, it's what it, Ted's feeling. Sure. But he does seem, I, I don't know, maybe I'm projecting a little bit about how I would feel in that situation. I was Ted, but it, it does seem that like Nate has an unhealthy attachment to what Ted thinks of him and it uh, screams daddy issues. And like it would be a h- difficult thing to address, I guess, in the moment. Is what oh,
1: absolutely. No, it's very much. It's one of the things of where Ted's never a guy that's going to get defensive to somebody attacking him. He's never somebody that's going to counterpunch when it comes to a moment like this. Ted's reaction is to take it, to absorb it, to process it, and try to help the other person. For his own reasons, as we've seen and explored this whole season. And that seems to be what he's trying to do here. It's not the words that matter. The words are irrelevant. The words are just bile that's being thrown out at you. It's the feeling and the emotional sentiment and the pain of where that's coming from. And that's what Ted's desperately, now way too late in the game, trying to address it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. Nate's just already closed off to it, just tells him to fuck off and walks out of the room.
0: That's the thing. He, his ears are absolutely plugged right now.
1: Yeah. Back Back at the match. Nate is notably not standing with the other coaches. He's back on the bench. He's sitting down. He's no longer with them. He's no longer part of them. He's written all this off already. Yep, he's uh, done. The team still remains behind by two. The announcers are discussing their thoughts on the nature of time and whether it's linear or not. They I think seem it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, thank you. Uh, And Sam, though, while this is happening, gets open and goes in for what is a very easy, necessary goal to bring them within
0: one. False nine starting to work.
1: Starting to work. Everyone but Nate is excited. The stadium's going nuts. This is their chance. Pack the midfield. Stay organized. Look for the gaps. The announcers express, uh, with all the other results in, AFC Richmond is only one point out of second place, which would mean a draw. That would get them into uh, get them in with automatic promotion. Now, if you are second place, you do get automatically promoted. Is it come across to you that in the universe of Ted Lasso, there aren't such a thing as the playoffs? that get a third yeah. team promoted as well. Doesn't doesn't seem like so,
0: they, they seem, seem or, to like, think that it's one. You either you
1: get the you get the second place or you're not promoted at all. Yeah, they have written that out. They seem to be treating as all or nothing for the sake of an international audience to keep it simpler, which. I, I mean think it, we would have understood it. I'm sure
0: the soccer fans don't like it. Football fans don't like it. But like, it, it does create the tension a little bit better, right? Because if they were like, well, one score here. And if they don't get it, then they get in the tournament. And then we'll see. Like, you know, it just wouldn't ha- they wouldn't hang the same.
1: It's it, it's just because they haven't done as much soccer focus this season. They couldn't at the last second insert the idea that they're now in the playoffs. And then they're in the championship game of the playoffs. And have that tension of being the third place team that gets it easier. They could have set that up differently. They chose not to. I don't prefer it, but I understand it. It's definitely the simpler thing that we've had in terms of getting, getting the narrative where it needs to be. Um, Now, it's penalty time now. Though. We're very much in the extra minutes. But Jamie is able to, with a beautiful Yon Mass pass, able to get open. Now, I'm going to ask, Jamie looked offsides as shit when he got that pass. Did you see that too?
0: Yeah. It, it was, I think it was close, right? Because he did, he went, he, he, I don't think he, I think when his foot touches the ball, that's his the question. back foot the back foot. That's not touching the ball is still behind the line. I think it's very close.
1: It's very close. It looked like for me that the closest other player to him was another Richmond player and they were both out ahead of the other team. Uh, we, we can't be sure necessarily where they were when the kick went off, but fine. I almost find it funny if that's just an in joke that even the referees don't understand the offside. I thought I was gonna it was going to be
0: a apropos if the, if a, the offsides uh, they I missed offsides penalty, considering the fact that Ted never figured out offsides.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, a pen, he's so open though. At this point, the only thing the, re, the only thing the uh, goal we can do is basically just tackle him to knock him out of the way, so as to stop him from scoring. Uh, penalty's called and Jamie a lines straight, up, it's a it's a straight on close as you
0: get penalty kick
1: this is the kind of thing of where it's almost a gimme this is the opportunity of where every advantage is going to the actual the actual player that's kicking the ball here the goalie is just desperate to throw himself in a direction and hope for the best but as Jamie's setting up, to t- setting up now to line up a shot to tie the game he instead stops turns to Danny and says that you got this muchacho it'll be fun taps him on the back, and sets him up for the kick. Now, this is a great callback to episode one, and again, this is a wonderful moment of harking back to that, that I wish we'd gotten more time with Danny going front of these demons over the course of the season, because it feels a little bit orphaned for it now to be at the very last moment. We haven't seen it since friggin' episode one. Eleven episodes ago, yeah, you're right. It, it, it's still a good moment, though. That's my, my opinion about a lot of these. This is an episode full of good moments that I wish they'd been better set up with throughout the season, rather than what they, did, rather they focused on instead. But this is a great moment. Danny lines up. It's his first penalty since the death of Earl at the beginning of the season. He still has Rip Earl, like, carved into his shoes. And everyone is looking at this, holding their breath. But as Danny looks over to his left, a smile appears on his face as he sees that there is a new mascot. Tina Greyhound, I believe it was. Uh, He's got a helmet on. Adorable little helmet on. It's the most adorable little doggy helmet ever. The best. The best. Danny, Danny smiles. He repeats his maxim football is life and he fucking buries it Woo! right right into the goal crowd goes insane Yay! tie game Teddy. Everyone's fr- everyone in the stadium is freaking out except nate i don't even know how to analyze nate's expression on his face but there is no emotion of excitement there whatsoever when it comes to how he's responding to this
0: mentally checked out doesn't care yeah, almost pissed that there was some success for the team yeah,
1: it, it seems almost like that in his perspective this accomplishment here isn't his plan anymore this is a reflection on ted lasso's wisdom and influence the effect it, he's had yeah. on the team and the organization itself that just trumps his arrogant narcissistic cold calculus of a plan that was all about him this is about the team this is the atmosphere that ted is set up and allowed to happen succeeding rather than him in his individual state and that Agreed. pisses him off yes uh, the team's going to be promoted, everyone's excited Nate is left though to head off By himself and seemingly very much a mirror Of Ted in his panic attack Heading off alone while everybody else is focused On something else um, On the pitch, Roy comes up specifically To Jamie and headbutts the shit out of him What'd you do that the- for? So I could do this, and goes in and gives Yay! him a big hug It's a great moment They hug, they dance, they jump uh, The celebration continues into the locker room But as Ted walks into his office
0: well, go, before he gets there, I, the moment I like Sam walks in and gets down in the crouched position, mm-hmm. arms up like you know, fist in the air, and goes, "Let's go!" Like his yeah. it, Sam getting that fired up. A couple things: one, just dope, just a dope scene, got me fired yeah. up for the team. Two, if you didn't know that Sam was staying before, you fucking know now because he is yeah. more locked into this than anybody else on that team. I mean, he is, he is. He almost might like a, like a lieutenant or something. He's, he's, he's a, in a leadership position for the team.
1: Well, you want to add, add something to the list of unforgivable things that Nate has done this season? Because it's a list at this point. Ted arriving in his office and finding that Nate has torn down and ripped in half the Believe poster and just left it cast off purposely so Ted can find it is unforgivable shit right there. Question for you. Do you think he was
0: doing that as a reflection of a fuck you, Ted, you have wronged me. This is my anger to you. Or is there a little bit of I'm going to another team and we're going to beat the hell out of you. We're going to beat the hell out of AFC Richmond. Like this How, is my representation of, of now we are, now we're opponents.
1: little column A, column B. However you want to stylize the symbolic rejection of belief. That's what Nate did right there. Uh, it's also Nate, no, no insult meant to the actor, the character. He's too short to get up there and do that. The man must have actually arranged a ladder intentionally to go there to get up there and grab that thing. I wish
0: it's we saw, th- I wish we had the scene of him going uh, uh,
1: uh, trying to get it. That would have been yeah. It, it's, it's one of those things where it just shows just how conscious and intentional this was. He didn't like do this as an act of anger when he was storming back in the locker room. Matt had to get a stool to get up there and get that thing to then leave it on Ted's desk. He's a shit. Absolutely. But Ted looks onto this sadly because he knows from this and the notable absence of Nate in the room with the rest of the team what has happened and what this means for the future. And that's a sad moment for Ted in particular. This is... Ted, as said, he has Nate's picture right next to his son on his desk. Nate clearly means a lot to him. He's invested a lot in Nate. Not just for for his benefit or Nate benefit or whatever else. They were friends. Yes. He thought they liked each other quite a bit. He viewed this guy as like a protege. Him as the mentor kind of thing. And to see just how toxic that got for Nate is what I think Ted is going to view as a failure on his part. This is... You want to make Star Wars references? This is the Obi-Wan Kenobi feeling like he failed Anakin kind of moment. It's Anakin setting up to Darth Vader. Regardless of all the shit Anakin did... It's a great
0: comparison, because I don't think Obi-Wan failed Anakin, and I don't think that Ted failed Nate, so it's great, it's great. But you you can understand why the characters
1: would feel such, yes.
0: Yeah, you're right.
1: Uh, Higgins interrupts to call Sam away, though, from the rest of the team, which is just asshole timing on Edwin's part to interrupt him in this moment of celebration to call him in for this outside-the-team bullshit, even if you think he's going to accept uh, while the uh, Francis pa- practices his handshakes with the skeleton Did you see him doing that in the background? Yeah. It's cute uh, Edwin, gre- Edwin greets <laughs> He's very much getting his reps in good way of putting it. And he greets Sam and congratulates him Full of confidence that Sam intends to accept his offer Sam though, as you've noted And as we've seen Politely, very politely, very respectfully Sam is a definition of a, pr- of a polite person Just tells him, I must refuse That my time at Richmond is not over yet And so I must stay Hope That's you can a, understand. Hope you can understand. And for like a second, you think that he's going to take this with good grace, and just acknowledge it as a as a professional. Maybe next time. Maybe this is just the beginning of our relationship. Instead, how does he act? Like,
0: I just want. So first, ding. Second, this is fucking hilarious because this yeah. is this this African rant. Like this. This is like this. I don't know how to describe it. Like if you spent like, so I've spent a lot, as I've talked about on this podcast before, I spent a lot of time in Africa. I spent a lot of around time around people who have grown up in African countries. And this is so, it's like an inside joke, right? Because, Edwin is doing this whole, like, we are Africans and we are together and we trying to close that circle that I talked to Yeah. He flips on a fucking dime and goes back to the nationalist thing that, like, the I, you will see this dynamic play out so much if you spend a lot yeah. of time on the continent where they'll be like, yeah, we're African brothers, et cetera, et cetera. But then the second that something gets in their way, you Nigerian motherfucker, you yep. Europa, piece of trash. I what the fuck you think you are? I'll buy your childhood home. I'll shit in all the rooms. I'll fucking burn it down. I'll eat kinkay and then I'll poop all over it. Like that rant that becomes very nationalistic. It authentic here happens all the time and it's it's just so like I feel like people who grew up in Africa are watching this and fucking dying laughing at this idea of like Edwin does the whole African, we're, we're brothers bullshit, but in reality, he's Ghanaian, and that guy's Nigerian, and he's like, fuck but, you, Nigerian well, piece of
1: trash. And it shows, unfortunately, that all the Pan African uh, philosophy that he was espousing the idea of you know, doing an African centric team that's going to bring African players back to win the World Cup and represent this for the entire continent. It's all bullshit cover for his own ego. Unfortunately, it was all just for his own aggrandizement. Uh, Sam was just an, a useful, pretty prop to bring the marketing that he needed for this project. Yeah, and he, in his core,
0: he is not African. He's Ghanaian, and that's why he. Why? Well, because the fucking first thing he does is trash him for being Nigerian, which is and,
1: fucking hilarious. And, and even beyond that, African, Ghanaian, whatever else, he's a billionaire. Whatever else he wants to say about the thing, and he likes being a billionaire, and he likes the just he's not, childishness. He's 100. No, Bernie Sanders isn't
0: a billionaire. Uh, b- well, no, but, but I'm saying he said he said um, I, I'm a billionaire, but I don't think billionaires should exist.
1: Yes, right. And oh, so, like Bernie, he, has he doesn't said that believe many the times. Bernie philosophy. Billionaires yes. should exist.
0: He doesn't have that. He's not. That's not true. He probably does no. think billionaires I, should exist. And by the way, he needs to get the hell out of the country because Elizabeth Warren. Coming after you, buddy. Coming after you, fucking lock, stock, and barrel. I Wrong do country. love this. I do love this. I will buy your childhood home. I'll take a shit in every room and then I'll burn the place down and I'll sit there and I'll eat kinke and I will poop on out. All the ashes. I promise you this. I will never forget this disrespect. Fuck you, said Basanya. I love it. And the acting from Richard, uh, sorry, Edwin, is spot on. You yeah. can tell he had. You think so? He got this script and was like, "I get to say this?" Hell yeah! Like he yeah. just like kind candy store.
1: Um, it's one of the things too, where I love Sam's the transition of Sam's response to it as it goes through. Is at first he's shocked, then he's offended when he calls him like a mid-range or mid-skill footballer. Yeah. But th- then once it pivots to like t- burning down your childhood home and p- and shitting on the ashes, Sam is desperately trying to avoid laughing in this guy's face. Yeah. It's so over the top, you can't take it seriously anymore.
0: Edwin actually cusses him and Twee on the way out. He uses the the
1: tribal language, the Ghanaian tribal language, <laughs> Twee. Actually, gives him a cuss word in Twee on the way out. I, uh, in terms, of also just you know, a very effective piss off. So we get from this moment the handshake guy, Francis, coming up for the handshake Ooh. and then turning it too smooth, so smooth, well done. He's practiced that. Francis shit. is a
0: pro. He's a Fra- pro.
1: Fra- Francis has a job, and he's here to do it well. What a scene! Uh, funny, funny scene. Funny scene. It even continues after Edwin leaves. He starts at the end of it. He's literally wrestling down, trying to choke out a mannequin as he's going down the hallway. And then poops on it.
0: Does the it, does the yes. does the halo squat on it afterwards?
1: It, it, it's true. He teabags the corpse and even looks at Sam and says, "Poop, poop." It, it's so ridiculously over the top. The best. Love the scene. Well, I think we can be reassured from this moment that Sam's decision, one hundred percent in the right, and my lack of trust, one hundred percent justified.
0: Ding, and also exit edwin okufu i don't think we'll ever
1: see him again probably not unless he in some way conspires with the nigerian government to screw over sam next season who knows maybe we need more drama uh at ted's first press conference after the article ted quiets the room which is full to the rafters like we haven't seen since back when they were premier league team yep and moves because they out, are a premier league team now. well going to be i presume yeah, it's yeah, a process yeah. a ceremony yeah, who knows he uh, moves instead, though, he wants to talk about the article, only to notice that Trent Krem is very conspicuously absent in a way he has never been before. Yep. Wonder what that can mean. Um, instead, pivots from that to say, well, I want to talk about my own struggles with anxiety and the lack of support for mental health in athletics. It's a great moment. This is a bit of a, a, bit of a Simone Biles moment. It's wonderful to hear it. I'm disappointed we don't actually get to see it. <laughs> As they just set it up, and then we immediately go to another scene. It's like, oh. This is like the same thing with the players' protest. You've set up these great sports moments as players actually going out and taking risks and standing in the real world, and then go on away to other things. Like, eh, I don't okay.
0: know. I, I liked the cut. I mean, the episode's long as it is, and I it is. We, I understand. We already know what he's gonna say, so I mean, why, why, why go through saying it? We know what he's gonna say, which is basically <laughs> that we have this culture of like fight through it, this macho sort of thing in sports that you can't show weakness, and in reality. You know, dealing with your mental health is a weakness. I mean, we
1: know what he's going to say. Well, it's one of those things that we're... The show so often says what we know he's going to say, but it's so well written, it encapsulates it perfectly. And that's what I'm missing. I'd love if they'd be able to encapsulate this very complicated thought in a Ted Lasso kind of way. That'd be wonderful, and it could be very powerful. But I fully accept that they have a... They are doing so much as is, they have only so much time to address these kind of things. I felt like it was a good
0: cut. That's my vote.
1: Okay. In Rebecca's office... Ted takes a glass of still water. Still having this conversation, hearkening back to season one. So it's so but so it's still water? Yeah, it's it is still water so and it still, is also still water. It's still water. So it's yeah. it
0: was water and it's it's still water.
1: It is still. It is still water. Got it. So it was water, still water. It's also still water. Uh, Rebecca tells Ted about Rupert's new evil scheme and Ted jokes that, well, at least this is now going to be, we have scheduled run-ins with Rupert rather than surprise ones in the future. What a great point.
0: Yeah. Well, at least now we know when to get our cockles up for this asshole.
1: Yeah. Sam interrupts though. Uh, and Ted immediately moves to leave. Thinks that, you know, Sam was here to talk to Rebecca in some way. Maybe Ted knows more than we think. Uh, but Sam and Rebecca both encourage him to stay. Sam reveals that he's actually decided to stay with the team. And even Ted can't miss the unspoken words in the room that are being exchanged between Rebecca and Sam right now. Uh, Ted asks Sam, "You know, why you've decided to stay? Maybe you know to actually get him to admit what he already had the conversation with Rebecca on." Uh, but it Sam, was a
0: little like Oprah, wasn't it? Like it was. Yeah. A, yeah. Why'd you Why'd you stay, huh, Sam? I'm little, I'm putting on my.
1: I'm putting on my Piers Morgan hat right now to, you know, moderate this particular thing, and, but Sam instead turns to Ted and says what he can say to Ted, but can't, doesn't feel comfortable saying to Rebecca right now that he's not staying because of her feeling of his feelings for her. I, True. He says,
0: I wish I could say it was my fe- because of my feelings for you, and Ted goes <laughs> <It's>
1: like, <laughs> what? Ted, Ted eventually gets no, like, what's like, what? <laughs> happening. <laughs> yeah. Unlike Rebecca, I'm uncomfortable with this level of, of relationship with a player. But, you know, please express what you need to say. Um, yeah. In truth, you need Sam says he needs to stop worrying about how others feel about him. Right. He's staying because it's what's best for him and his personal journey. Not Shout that. Credit to him. We've talked before about how we were kind of uncomfortable that we didn't get enough of Sam's side of what he wants and what he needs. It's a great moment to get that where I'm saying, whatever my feelings are for you, my decision is not related to that. This is best for me, and that's why I'm deciding that. Power to you, man. He's a leader
0: on that team. He's got a huge fan base. They're now moving up to the Premier League. That's better than going with this sort of, like, new, like, basically, like, ground-up creation that Edwin's going for. Like, this is an established Premier League team now. Like, it's a better spot. I completely agree with his logic.
1: And he's 21. He's got a long career of where he can make a shift to another team hereafter when he feels like it's the appropriate time. There's no rush on this which was very much what Edwin was trying to convince him there was. It's now or never. you got three days, 72 hours. To not give him the opportunity to ponder what he actually wanted. To just stay starry-eyed. It's a great chant. It really is. <laughs> uh,
0: oh, so good.
1: Ted... Sam leaves. Ted immediately realizes those words were more meant for Rebecca, to which Rebecca just, yes, I know, Ted. And that she was such a fun houses think, her wine.
0: I think right there when he was talking to me, he was really talking to you. Yes, yes, Ted, yes.
1: Just houses the wine that she has. As Ted is walking out, Trent, though, is there waiting for him, calls out to him. They talk over the legitimately shocking revelation that Trent doesn't know how to ride a bicycle, despite all appearances. I would have lost all kinds of money on that bet. Uh, and Trent reveals that he's no longer a reporter, that he wasn't in the meeting for that reason, and he was fired because he revealed an anonymous source. Two, and I looked this up, the happiness of journalists everywhere who recapped yeah. this show.
0: Yeah, so they that, like that they addressed that, yeah.
1: They like that they addressed it and they did it authentic, that, yeah, it it is a serious eth- ethical issue in our organization that would not be tolerated. And the, yeah, it isn't. And we, I like that we also reveal why Trent did it. Not only just because he really respects and values Ted, Seems like he was getting a bit disgusted or dissatisfied with his role as a journalist. And this was just kind of the final, I'm signing off on this aspect of my career. Because he went to the bosses himself and told them that he did it.
0: Yeah, we asked our listeners to tell us, like, if you know, if you're a journalist or you know journalists, is this like a weird thing that he did? Or was it like a kind of semi-standard thing? We got a teeny bit of feedback on that. And everything we got was in line with what we were reading, which was, it while it kind of makes sense within the context of the interpersonal relationship they're having, it is a pretty serious breach of professional etiquette. Like, it's it's something that would really be negatively looked upon by his employer. And I they represent it, that.
1: It clearly was. But I like that Trent did it himself, not only because he's an honest, ethical person, but it seems like he was just kind of, this was kind of his last send-off to the profession. Yeah, fuck it. Uh, Ted offers a bit of Joseph Campbell quote as encouragement, and they note that he is now Trent no Grimble. longer... Independent. Independent. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh uh, yeah, same joke my dad made. It's, it's like the Ted's not put off by that at all. Yeah, your dad's sounds sounds like, like a cool a good guy. Yeah. Uh, they express that they hope their paths will cross again. Which there is a surprisingly large collection of Ted Trent shippers, and this scene probably gave them more than a bit of fuel based on how they would wish to interpret some of these moments between the characters. I don't see it. I just see them as being friendly. But the shipping community for this two is not insignificant.
0: That's strange. I actually took it as a Trent send off. I thought we were done with Trent and Ted.
1: Lanza. I don't think so. And I saw some fans express the idea that, well, the marketing job at Richmond's open right now.
0: Yeah. I think he's done. I think, I don't I think don't we're going to so. see him again.
1: I hope we do. He's a great character and I enjoy the interactions that he has with Ted. Well, I don't think him becoming the marketing director of Richmond seems where really, really where he wants to go or be. No, he hates that shit. Yeah. Uh, I hope the pass will cross, cross again. I hope so too. You have your doubts. We'll see. Uh, like I like this keys in his car. <laughs> what was the point really of that scene? Was there anything symbolic about that or was it just- No. It's a comedy. Damn it. People
0: <laughs> banging my I, fist on the They are, they gave us some like I, I I saw people like wondering what this scene meant or something. It, damn it, it's a comedy. Sometimes they put stuff in cuz it's funny. Uh, uh, and I laughed. He had the serious thing and he goes, "Oh, shit." Uh, the uh, in the car. Okay, can
1: you? Can you explain this being a comedy? I'm not really familiar with this concept, really. Can you, can you, can you talk me through what this is?
0: Yeah. So, um,
1: apropos of nothing, giggles. Interesting. That was actually beautifully said. I appreciate that description of what comedy was. <laughs> well said. Did you workshop yeah. that, or is that just on the fly?
0: Uh, I just made that up right here, like I'm Higgins. Oh, look at um, that,
1: Higgins, brother. Yeah. Apropos
0: of nothing, giggling. Yeah, that's what. Um, that's what I liked about that. Like, I, I, I there was a small point. I saw people
1: complaining about it, and I, t- I wanted to scream at the internet and be like, "Damn it, people! They're just it's trying to make funny. you laugh." <laughs> yeah. Uh, now the show though does something it's never done before, of where we get flash forwards to moments yeah. in the future. First ones. A this is how you after. know it's a season finale, right? They're doing yeah. Something they do. Different. This is this is a common season finale trope to see this kind of thing, of where they flash forward a few days later, and first it's Roy and Keely. They're packing up her office, uh, while she's doing so, Roy has a surprise gift for. Uh, he has gotten actual paper tickets, which you Keely, seem like a paper I, tickets guy. I really am. I was getting yeah. offended by Keely you know, dunking on this as it being something from a bygone propeller driven smoke on planes kind of era. But I actually really like the security of having a physical ticket just because I've had so many circumstances with my phone. I felt like my phone wasn't going to work or it wasn't going to stand perfectly or whatever else. Give me a printout. That's never failed me before.
0: We're all going toward one little phone that holds everything that you carry around. Just I so don't
1: know. like this and you know I don't like this. Uh, but the trip is going to be, it's a six-week, leave-tomorrow, villa-by-the-sea, vacation to Marbella, Spain, Ooh. which sounds like a lovely trip. That's a European would, vacation. Six weeks. A, In America, that means you have that, lost your job. That is a European I'm-rich-as-shit vacation is what that is. Uh, I would It's a wonderful gift. I would never do this to a partner. I would never have that kind of presumption to book that trip. A day out to go for six weeks. I'd like to point out that
0: this is a massive misstep from my guy, Roy,
1: mm.
0: because mm. of mm. what you just said. It's just pract- uh, practically um, inconvenient. Like She's not, starting not, a job. Not, yeah, not thoughtful about her own like logistics and her own practical schedule. Also, in his explanation of this trip and why he he got her this trip, it's Mostly all about, him. about himself, about Mostly what he's going to do, how he's going to rest, how he's going to eat, not train. It was it seemed like a little bit of a like self absorbed thing here from my guy Roy. I well, thought it was a pretty big misstep.
1: Well, it seemed almost like a bit of an aggressive move of where this is a trip that I'm going to enjoy and I want you to be there for it kind of thing. Of where he's like, yeah, you can work on the f- balcony. What? Dude, she's a CEO of a new company. She needs to be there for that kind of shit. It, it, it's, it is dumb on his part. It's it, I think it's heart's in the right place. He wants them to do a big relationship thing. It's clearly something I think that she'd really enjoy if she could. But she obviously can't. But more than anything, I think it's him concerned about their relationship. Concerned yes. that they're it's growing apart. It's a heat check. It's, it's trying to force them to be together for six weeks kind of thing. And... As we said, it doesn't work. It's nope. not practically reasonable for where she is now. And that's not an indictment on their relationship that she can't go for a 6-week vacation when she's starting her own new company. It's no way that. But because of his doubts, because of his concerns, because of the awkward way she expresses but you can go. That was and- weird. See, this is my
0: this is my thought here about why this might be a real problem. Because Six week vacation when you just start starting your own company, crazy idea. It Doesn't make sense for her to go work there. None of this pra- like practically speaking makes sense. The thing that concerns me is that Keeley said you should go and didn't do a counter offer. I feel like what yeah. you do in that situation is go, Roy. I can't like I can't go for six weeks. But how about this? You go and, and I'll, I'll join go you on week five. two different weekends during the six yeah. week period. I'll join you like some counter proposal. She just ducks out of it completely. It separates the two of them and says, you go,
1: I'll see you in six weeks. But I mean, that's her job's, not great. Her job's still in the UK, right? She's not even like fly from America or anything. Is she? Yeah, not, she could easily get it's there. That like, long of, it's not that long of a plane ride to Spain. I didn't think it was a good sign. I Okay, mean, you've been doubting their relationship for a while. I don't see it as a negative sign. I think it, see it as her very much focused on this aspect of her life that they're going to need to balance out come the next season. But at the same time, at the same token as I would never, you know, book a trip, a six-week vacation for my partner without telling her or coordinating with her, I also would never tell a partner in response to that, well, you can just go for six weeks and I'll see at the end of it. I would never say that either.
0: It wasn't good. I mean, I, I don't think they leave these two in a... I mean, they're, they're still together.
1: They're still together. Obviously. And they got but things to work out. But don't leave
0: them in a pitch-perfect place.
1: They don't. And I think the whole season's been on. around. They're not perfect. No one is. But I think they're still very good for each other and can be good for each other so long as they're actually comfortably talk- talking to yeah, each other. Yeah, but they're
0: not perfect. No one is implies a a normal amount of not okayness. I think this is
1: an. Abnormal it's their first of not real okay-ness. okay. Yes, but it's their first real relationship, and it's we gotta we have to remember it in that context. It's their. What are you talking about? Like, we're have relationships? They but they previously expressed that all of their relationships previously were just one night stands or not really serious or were I didn't take it that all like, of them
0: were I took it that they had a had, lot a of, lot
1: of one night stands
0: yeah I, don't, I mean that point I don't think we know for sure but I look I'm not saying that they're I, I want to be nuanced here I'm not saying that they're breaking up or something but I do think that they're left in a place that's not a normal like uncertainty it's like what? a it's like
1: a, in a gray area like not it's not good. If this is their last conversation on that subject, that's that's the equivalent of going to bed angry after a fight. In terms of not talking about the elephant in the room. That they clearly... That she should be able to read this point that Roy has some concerns about their relationship. Roy obviously has concerns about their relationship and the degree that they might be growing apart or going on separate lives. They need to talk about that. And we don't see them do it. And that's a problem. I think that they can work through it. I think part the, 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 they're, we're going to see them more talk about it and deal with it in season three. But I agree that it's a purposely meant to be a bit of a gray area concern moment for them to end what we see of their relationship on in season two.
0: Yeah, but you keep comparing. This is where we differ because you keep comparing it to sort of like normal fights and like, like going to bed angry. I think it's I think you're starting to get outside of that like uh, standard deviation is what I'm saying. OK, that's, but that's where we're at.
1: Um, They, you know, Rory actually even expresses, are we breaking up in response to that line from Keely? She Basically, calls him an idiot. No, we're obviously not. We'll see each other in six weeks. It'll be fine.
0: Eh, we'll he see. leaves the tickets on the on the table.
1: I don't think he's going either. Yes, Maybe he didn't. He didn't take Trixie Bell. He has to come back. Maybe he's coming back for the tickets. Huh? He crawls at Trixie Bell. Uh, three weeks after that, Sam has hey! bought a My location guy. in London. Woo. Okay, I know you are just the expert when it comes to international real estate values. Can you just imagine how much buying a place that large in downtown London would probably cost? He doesn't rent it. He buys this place. I'm
0: sure it's massively expensive. Uh, it, this seems to probably be like his his long-term investment strategy, maybe? Like, how know, like often what his do retirement play... plan might be? I don't know. That's a lot of money. You're right.
1: That's vaguely stereotypical for a, for a major sports player to get invested into a restaurant in terms of making that his happens, long-term happens mistake. happens all the time. Although I
0: think that this will work, right? Because I think it will. Like, he, often, he wants to be involved he's... himself. Because too often it's football play, American football player, steakhouse. You know what? We got enough steakhouses. Yeah. You know what London doesn't have enough of? I can already tell you. I've never been there, but I can already tell you. They don't have enough Nigerian restaurants. No place has enough Nigerian restaurants except for Nigeria. <laughs> that is a great business model because it's a type of food that not everybody knows. Right? And so you can expose them to something new and create a, a loyal customer base as opposed to like, here's another steak. Like, I think it's a great, I think it's a great idea and it's probably going to do really well. And by the way. Anybody who's like a developer here, developer here in in lovely Durham, North Carolina, uh, please open a Nigerian restaurant. (laughs) It'd be pretty great.
1: I think it's also going to work better for Sam because it seems like he wants to make this his. It's not just an investment. He's not just going to give money to somebody else to then put his name on it. He wants to make this good and he wants to personally invest himself in it. So I have hopes for him. It'll work out well. He clearly cares about it.
0: Shout out, (laughs) King K, Jollof rice, goat, (laughs) Okro soup, tomato stew, moi moi. Let's do this.
1: I need to, at some point, actually have Nigerian food. You make it sound good. Uh, Two months after that, I'm presuming these dates are one after the other rather than from the end of the game, but who could be sure? Uh, West Ham is at training, and a very gray-haired short figure is watching on. And he's got a big Betway logo on his back, which is an international gambling company, which seems to be an intentional parallel between what Richmond's invested in versus what uh, um, West Ham is invested in. And... That's the NWO
0: music. He's heel.
1: I figure at this point. uh, Rupert uh, comes in to whisper something in this figure's ear. And as Yankee and the Brave by Run the Jewels begins to play, the figure turns around to reveal with all confidence and calm poise of his new role as the villain of the show, Nate.
0: Back at it like a crack addict. Mr. Black Magic crack up back chiropractic. Yep. Love that song. Love the heel turn. I played the NWO music. He's, He's heel. He's the villain. We now have set up for season three.
1: And we're out, and season two has come to an end. Thank you,
0: Spencer. I speak on behalf of all of the world, America and the rest of the world. Uh, Thank you for doing the recap here for season two. Uh, We much appreciate it. These are longer episodes. It's a lot to do. We all appreciate you banging out the recap every week. Muchos gracias, my friend. Muchos gracias.
1: Well, I think we turn from here to uh, who was the train wreck of the episode? uh i have a nominee please please do tell my nominee for train wreck of the
0: episode Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. not nate what the fuck how is it because because Nate, nate was train wreck last episode he is now the villain i think he's out like unless he becomes a train wreck within his new role of villain right like i don't look at nate like like everything he's doing now is within character to me because he's already Man, made the heel turn. But it's also so not isn't, isn't, So yeah, so this isn't like train wreck behavior. It's okay, who okay, he okay. is now. That's kind of how I'm coming from it. I'm going to say train wreck of the episode. My guy Roy for a spectacularly uh, tone deaf gesture to uh, Keely at the end of this thing. He leaves on a very, very sour note. Uh, my guy sprains his ankle walking down the street right at the end of this thing. It is an unforced error and i do not think it was a good move on his part and i think we're going to see a little bit of fallout i'm starting to tweak my theory i'm I, i'm not i'm going to ding it a little bit for you cuz i don't Back, i don't yep. think they're going toward a breakup between Keely and roy but i do think they have some serious problems here cuz that,
1: that was fair. not
0: a normal interaction between a couple and that was a tough reeking of desperation move on his part
1: I think that very much is where he was coming from on it. So that is fair. While I think that Nate's turn to villainy is grounded into a certain element of pathetic self-loathing, at a certain point we now need to actually start judging him as a villain and what effect he has on the other characters, because he's just now firmly gotten out of the old role that he was in. Right. Okay. So, Roy, is train wreck. the episode, fair point. Uh, um, Sports, okay. in 10? Sports in top ten? Sports in the top ten, where we discuss
0: ten, not nine, not eleven, not twelve things we like about the episode.
1: I feel like at this point we almost have to talk about things we liked about the season. Because it kind of bleeds over now that we've seen the end of the end of this particular season of television. Please feel free
0: to do that. I totally wrote my notes
1: as if we were just talking about the <laughs> I'm going to do a little of both. But i got to give credit to both the actor who plays Nate and what they've done with the character. I've really liked his descent into villainy this season. I mean, some people have talked about, oh, I hate it. I don't like to see this character go in this direction. I liked him so much in season one. The fact that you care and the fact you care he's going in that direction isn't a criticism of the show. That's good writing that makes you invested in this, not liking that he's going down a dark path. I think it's been well set up. I think it comes across as very authentic. I think it really fits in with what we know about the character's psychology and background, that he'd go in these particular directions, and him rewriting the story here in this last episode to fit what he needs for his new, vill- for his new villain um, kind of strategy in life very much screams things I've seen in real life before. So I thought that's one of the best things they've done this season for what they've worked with Nate. And it sets up a great potential use of them in my mind for season three, for all the ways he can now oppose them and use his own knowledge of them against them.
0: Yeah, one of the things I've learned by doing these TV review podcasts with you and diving into like, the culture of the, the fans of each of these shows is that people generally have a tough time removing how they feel about a plot. Mm-hmm. from how they feel about how it was set up and executed and written. Right. And it makes me feel bad. It's no not one the same likes, as it is bad. No one likes that 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 Nate has gone this this way. Like obviously yes. this fucking sucks and he sucks. It is extremely well executed by the show though. Um mm-hmm. and so I think that's a great distinction on your part. Okay. Um for me, uh what's the story Paul Shorey? Paul Shorey was born in <laughs> O. Iowa after graduating from Big H hard for Harvard in 1878. Um, So basically he is a professor um, uh, and was a made a member. He was a Roosevelt lecturer at the University of Berlin, and he was Mm -hmm. a made a member of the National Institute of Arts and Letters. You referenced him earlier a little bit. Uh, The cool thing I wanted to talk about him. He died in Chicago uh, and a local paper at the time of his death, uh, the guy writing it claimed to have known the guy. Uh, asserted that he knew all 15,693 lines of the Iliad by heart. If that was true, shout out, Paul Shorey.
1: Jesus Christ. Uh, in terms of characters that have been expanded on this season that I quite liked, I really enjoy that we've gotten to spend more time with Beard, particularly over the last, last half of this season. Co-sign. I mean, vigorous head nod. I mean, the fact that he got his own episode was, I still don't like where they put the episodes in the continuity. I think they would have been much better if they were just like, episodes that happened after the 10 that were then saying what things happened in between things during the course of the season. I think that would work a lot better from a narrative flow standpoint, but I like that. We got a beard episode like we got to expand a little bit more about how he works. And now that I see better, how he interacts with their characters. I like the consistency of it and the understanding the show has for how the character thinks his abilities and how he interacts with those around him. That's all very on point and well done from what we know about what he is and where he's going.
0: You're the man Spencer. You're fucking knocking this segment out of the park. Those are two I really strongly agree with. Here's one that you referenced, and maybe I can shed a little light on it. Roy points out that um, they did not open the champagne for when her mom moved up north or when England had zero points in the Eurovision. Explain this, please. So Eurovision is a song contest that happens in Europe. It's real fucking big. It's like obnoxiously big. Sometimes abbreviated to ESC. Why? Because people, you know, they're in a hurry. Spencer, you have to have to have to go fast with their lives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ESC, often simply known as Eurovision, is an international songwriting competition organized annually by the European Broadcasting Union, and it features participants representing the primary European countries. Right. So the primary Western European countries, and they all kind of compete as countries. Um, and then uh, they they air at the thing, and then competing countries all cast votes for the other team's songs to determine a winner. So, like, basically everybody gets in this big pool and they vote. Think, like, American Idol, except it's, like, states competing against each other. That would be kind of, like, what it is, right?
1: Very nationalistic.
0: Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. Here is why Roy was super excited that England got zero. I think that was what would confuse people, is, like, he's excited that England got zero points. So – Eurovision, the actual event, is traditionally held in the country which won the preceding year's events. And the contest provides an opportunity to promote the host country and city as a tourist destination. Thousands of spectators attend each year and journalists come to cover. So I think what we got here is Roy being like, I don't fucking want the Eurovision here in London with all the piles of tourists coming in and and crap uh that's gonna be a big headache for me so i love that we did not do particularly well so we don't have to deal with that headache that's how i took it
1: i think it's also a trope too that england never wins the uk never wins the eurovision ever everyone always just votes against them so i think it's almost become a certain degree of national pride and just separation from the rest of the continentals that's just how much they're just automatically widely rejected when it comes to ever get ever standing a chance in that competition
0: very much so, and by the way, don't bring your Eurovision fucking trash here to London in my backyard. I don't want that. <laughs> I
1: tried point? to watch it. Before. I've tried to watch it before. I've never been able to make it through a full, ep- I guess, episode. I suppose of Eurovision. It it just boring as toast to me. But I don't like the. I don't really like the American Idol kind of format anyway.
0: I'd never even known it. I'd never even knew it was. It's huge around the rest of the world. I know it's Not big so now. I, I did a little research on it, but I had never heard of it before this episode.
1: Man, God, I'm Uh, so
0: American, boy. Woo!
1: Apple pie. Four trucks. (laughs) Wearing your UNC cap as you're doing the episode right now. Yes, sir. I am uh, Uh, American. Now, uh, last one for me. This last episode, I think, finally gave me Sam as a character in his own right. In a way I've been looking forward the entire season. That I've struggled with the idea of where we got some good Sam moments early on that felt like they were orphaned and never fully explored. And felt like they were almost just token gestures to just do a, public, a public, public PSA rather than actually well-formed plotline in their own right. The fact that we've at least harkened back to them, even if I find their resolution var- one of the biggest plot missteps of the season, was good. And the fact that we actually got Sam making decisions that were separate from Rebecca and acting like Sam in a way for his own narrative rather than to fit into the images other people have of him as being the beat- beatific perfect foreigner kind of thing in a way we've criticized before. I like Sam as a character, I just haven't really particularly liked how they've used him as part of other people's plots and narratives that don't really feel very much completed for him. So seeing him make his own decisions for his own benefit as part of his own story and being determined in that regard, outside of anybody else's story for him, I really liked that and I hope we get more of that going into the next season, because I felt like he's been a character that's been put forward as being a main character, but has never really felt like it until now. Vigorous
0: head nod. I got two more, and I think that gets us at 9 and 10. Mm-hmm. Number nine, I will buy your childhood home. I'll take a shit in every room, and then I'll burn <laughs> the place down, and then I'll sit there, and I will eat kinke, and I will poop on the fucking ashes. Kinke is a staple dish uh, in Ghana and West Africa. It is a dumpling that with made typically with, like, cornmeal, but it could be made with other um Uh, other like flour or whatever but it's a dumpling and then they wrap it in a corn husk and they cook it that ought to be sound familiar to you wrap a dumpling in a corn husk and cook it a tamale right yeah that's what they call it in mexico in jamaica they call it a dakuno or dakunu uh or thai leaf and tamale the name tamale you know where that comes from i don't know there is a region in northern africa where they uh, kink is from called tamale So, um, like most great food that we have here in the continental Northern America, uh, comes from fucking Africa, uh, great dumplings and corn husk. It's true. Uh, it's called Kinke. We can call it tamales here. It's delicious either way. And my last one, Ted says, as the man says, you got to follow your bliss. Joseph John Campbell. You talked about him a little bit. He's an American professor of literature at Sarah Lawrence college. Woo.
1: Sarah Lawrence. Mm. Shout out
0: who worked in comparative mythology and comparative religion. Here's what I want to say about Joseph Campbell. You probably already know. Incredibly influential fellow. Most famously, George Lucas came to see Campbell as, quote, his Yoda after the hero with a thousand faces inspired revisions of Star Wars that enhanced the archetypal quality of its characters, the symbolic depth of its imagery, and the mythic structure of its characters. Uh, As John Williams says, until Campbell told us what Star Wars meant, until Campbell told us. What Star Wars meant. Woo! Put that on his gravestone. That's big. We regarded it as a Saturday morning space movie. The mythic structure he learned from Campbell, famously called The Hero's Journey, has gone from Lucas's secret weapon to an industry standard that can be seen in a majority of studio yeah. and franchises.
1: If you want to poke, point to a book of basically mythology, history, and philosophy as being one of the most influential texts in the history of modern media, look right there. It is The, the idea of The Hero's Journey has just taken over particularly american cinema ever since well star wars in particular but now particularly with the focus on comic books and marvel movies good god it's everywhere right now uh it's a fun thing to actually go back and read it he's generalizing massively when he's trying to say that all myth is built around that kind of principle it really isn't he was really doing a broad brush but it's an interesting kind of through line of where whether it's literally accurate in every every case it has an instinctual feeling of accuracy when you have it described to you that makes it resonate so well when it comes to, you know, exposure and media. Cool.
0: Yeah. Anyway, we have him to thank for um, the depth of the Star Wars plot, which obviously we wouldn't even know about Star Wars if it didn't have it. Very true. Ted's, you ready for this? Ted's life lessons of the episode? Give them
1: to me, sir. I'm looking forward Ted's to them.
0: Ted's life lessons of the episode. This is a segment where we attempt to extrapolate lessons from, from the episode that we can take with us. And this is a serious segment. Often I do comedy on this uh, podcast, or at least I attempt to do this is a serious <laughs> segment. Mm-hmm. Um, so Higgins has a quote, a good mentor, hopes she'll move on a great mentor. knows she will. I want to draw a lesson in this for meters for majors, for mentors. If this is unique, like, I think this is a really important thing to remember if you're going to be in a leadership position with other people, um, or you're going to like actually manage them or informally mentor them. If you don't hope or expect that the individual will eventually move on and branch out on their own, then you you set an artificial ceiling for them. That artificial ceiling may be sky high. You may you sure. may run a Fortune 500 company and the person could end up being your number two and be a billionaire. They could be number two at Amazon. But if you don't expect that they will eventually go off on their own, you still have set a ceiling. Right. For That's under you. That's true. And it's a thing to always remember, because a lot of times good bosses like have somebody they've locked up with that report into them. Right. And they both move up through the company and they both are like seemingly very happy and very successful. But the boss always needs to remember, I need to give this person every opportunity to fly on their own. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I've set an artificial ceiling for them that I have set that they have not set for themselves that I've set for them. So always, if you're informally mentoring somebody, I think it's a really good idea to give them ample opportunity and runway to go off on their own if they want to take that opportunity. Second one, uh, this is um, Rebecca. Bit of advice for being a boss: hire your best friend.
1: Uh, you you flinched when we went we got to this line. What do you have to say about it?
0: I. I don't I a lot of times with these TED life lessons, I'm trying to paint, paint things in big broad strokes like like I'm the fucking king of the world or something. And I know everything. I don't. I'm just telling you what I what your perspective my experience in my experiences is not a great idea, um, it, especially if it's in a um, if it's in a manager direct report relationship, hiring your friends to work for you often creates weird dynamics because people will be really excited and they'll say yes yes i'd love to work for you i'd love for your work because they want the job and they think it's going to be really great but the second that you actually try to manage your friend all hell breaks loose because they don't like it it's an ego hit it's an ego hit on them and they feel like they're subservient to somebody that there should be equals to because they've known the person for 15 years and they've been buddies right so it's not often a really good dynamic and it can mess up friendships I think really where this could work maybe, and I don't know this, this world is if you're just like starting up a company, like if Mm. Spencer, you and I wanted to like, I don't know, create like a really cool, like series of coffee shops that also act as um, like places that cats can be adopted (laughs) uh, slash store slash tea house slash podcast studio. Like if we Mm. wanted to open a large chain of those in the greater Florida uh, region, um, maybe that would work, right? Because we would be equals yeah, yeah, in that yeah. venture. But if you're hiring, uh, th- what this it was actually a little bit disingenuous from Rebecca, right? Because Keely wasn't her best friend when she hired her. Like they became best friends when they started working together. So mm-hmm. I just don't think that's really great if you're established best friends. I know we're running long, so I'll hit number three as fast as I can, and that is Nate using others as a measuring st- uh, using mm. others as a measuring stick for himself. Others, when I say that, I mean others' opinion of him, but then also this sort of currency of credit that I've I've talked about before that others give out in the ether, right? Mm -hmm. It's so important for him that everyone, quote, everyone be saying it's Nate's idea, Nate's success, et cetera, that every single bit of his validation, his happiness, his motivation is coming from external sources. And if you live a life that way, you are going to be disappointed over and over and over again. It's it, it's not, you are not going to be fulfilled. Like I've, I've seen it happen a times with people. Internal motivation is something that's sustainable. External validation is something that is not. So to the maximum extent you can when you are trying to set goals for your life and things that you care about or want to work toward, try to stay internally motivated. And that's what I've got for you on Life Lessons here at the end of season two of Ted Lasso, Spencer what'd you think of those life lessons this week I thought they were good I thought they
1: were very much on point and I really do enjoy how much the life lessons has expanded this season we've gotten some legitimately interesting philosophical inquiries to uh, ponder through as we've gone through the material
0: I always envision when I'm doing these like someone sitting in their car really enjoyed the episode and then like Oh, here's Lee on his fucking bowl You keep saying that, but the compliments that, that you've
1: gotten, the compliments you've gotten on life lessons have been legion when it comes to people appreciating this. So yeah, it, it works. I personally have appreciated it. It seems like the audience does too.
0: All right. Our predictions that we, we, at the end of last episode, we had predictions that we wrote down for the finale.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Always got to keep score here at the lasso lowdown. Here they are. Spencer's prediction. One. They get promoted. Richmond gets promoted. Ding. Two, Ripper, Rupert is in some way involved with the other team, Raja Casablanca.
1: Half, maybe, but no, I don't think so. I think that's
0: a, I think that's a no. Mm-hmm. Me, one, Keely and Roy break up. No. Two, Nate is
1: the head coach of the team that Rupert owns. Ding. We don't so know that yet. We. I don't think we know that yet. I think you're right, but it's not been confirmed. Okay. <laughs> yeah yeah, it is, it is it is i'll give it I to think, you eh, i think it's pretty
0: clear that he's the he's the coach of that team so there you go i think we had one to one i think we tied on predictions all right let's finish up with final thoughts of season two i'm so excited to hear what did you think of season two put it in context for me with what you thought of season one what you expect from the show and with other shows that you just really like out there in the zeitgeist
1: i didn't know what to expect out of season two I wasn't expecting it to be very, very different from what I liked about season one. Of where it is a different show. I yeah. don't know whether that's going to hold. And they've talked about doing very different seasons in terms of, you know, the Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back, and the Return of the Jedi kind of seasons. Yeah. So it's possible that the third season may be something completely different. But I was going into it blind without expectations, but I was still caught off guard by how different structured it was. Yeah. It's a lot longer. It feels a lot longer. It almost feels at times bloated when it Preach. comes to the material they're throwing at it. First season, part of what I loved about it so much, it was so compact. It was so well structured that it felt breezy. You'd finish a 25 minute episode and feel like it was just, you just turned it on and it was gone because it was so easy to quickly digest it and enjoy it. And that was part of the charm. It's what I liked. This season has gotten so much more dense, so much more packed of materials, much more theorizing that it's become a very different focus. I can like that, and I did like it, but it's not at all what I liked about Season 1, and looking back at it now, I think I really liked Season 1's structure and style a lot better than what they did in Season 2. There's a lot more character work that's done here, It's a lot more character journeys, It's a lot more individual stories, but because they're doing that, we lost a lot of the central thread that Season 1 relied on. And, and the central thread really was the game and the team and soccer. Which is almost forgotten about for vast stretches when it came to this season because they were focusing on very much the individual character dramas and relationships and everything else. Some of that was brilliant. It's almost like the season had particularly just really high highs and then other material that was not exactly really low but was disappointingly mediocre. Uh, really high high, what they yep. do with Nate, or what they do with Ted. Ted's journey and everybody that worked off Ted yeah. was great mm-hmm. and And that's. Predictable in some ways, because Ted was the best part of season one, and he was the best part of season two, too, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Other things were much more mixed bags for me. I mean, I thought a lot of the stuff they did with relationships was of another show and not done particularly well, really, here. Some of the things they did with some of the characters I liked so much in season one, I was more mixed about. Like, I thought Rebecca's plot line was kind of wasted, really, with how much I liked about what they used of her in season one. Focusing on her relationship issues could have been great, but came across as being... Both awkward and uncomfortable, and ultimately a distraction from other things I found more interesting, sadly. So, overall opinions, still very positive. Still very much enjoyed the show, Love the characters, Got we got, to, enjoyed, we got to spend more time with the characters. This was a season that took risks, a lot of risks, we explored new directions, even did episodes that came across as almost like art house exploration of little odd homages to different material. It was yeah. fascinating. Mm-hmm. I just can't say I like the overall package as much because it comes across as a much less well put together package. Even if I still think it is brilliant and well done, and I'm going to adore watching season three. I'm
0: going to ask you to do something we do on another podcast we have called Mangum Watches where we review old movies, Mm -hmm. always make you do the letter grade. What do you give this as a letter grade this season? Just season two in a Can, can,
1: Can I compare it to season one? Just in terms of offering both grades? Sure. Now, you want to vacuum. I see. I do. I just kind of... To...
0: Because, I mean, I know you don't like it as much as season one, and I I, okay. Think, okay. We're all, I think we're going to agree there. But I do want to know, like, okay, but just put season two as a television show out in the world. What do you think? Because I think that's a different question.
1: Still a solid B, I think. I think it was B. it was well, well... Well, I think it was well written. I think it was well... I think it had great episodes. I think it had great arcs that it wanted to set up, even if I thought they delayed too long with them in a way that I think Apple kind of screwed them over for a certain degree with. I like that it wrapped up its points. I like some the narratives it set up. I like the character work it did. Even, I have some waffling about some of the plot directions they went on and some of the focuses they did. And I think we've seen a few of the areas of the writing that they're either not as skillful at or just didn't work as well as they maybe have hoped. But it still makes for a decidedly very good season of television. A B is a good grade for me.
0: Yeah, that's really high. Spencer is a law school professor, so everything is like graded down like two grades. He fucking—I've never seen an A out of the man ever. Um, so yeah, B is good. Uh, here's my thoughts on the season. It's not too different than yours. Um, it's, I, I don't think it was as tight as the first season. I think they made some of the plots. Um, I think it got long in certain segments. I think there were parts of the writing where they're not quite sure what they wanted to do. There were clearly some scripts that were written by different people because some scripts really focused and valued the line-by-line, beat-by-beat jokes of a standard sitcom. And then there were other scripts that were delivered that forgot that altogether for long periods. And so that's why we kept talking about the tension of what the show wanted to be. Did it want to continue to be this sort of zany sitcom that had this through line of good, or did it really want to like evolve into a week by week drama serial show? And so you had that tension as it went. And therefore I didn't, I didn't think the identity of the show was tight as tight and crisp as it was in season one. But here's what I'll say in defense of season two is that this is not a show with a canon. They, I mean, this is, they yeah. made this Make show this out from, of a dumb, from a dumb character that like Jason Sudeikis created commercial, for, like premier league commercials on NBC to try to sell an American audience on soccer. Like this is, this is not something that they have a book to go by. And so they're having to create this out of whole cloth as they go. And considering that, considering that it's all just new material that they're just writing every season. I thought it was really good and it gives me faith in their ability to put together a show. Mm -hmm. I think that they are very, whoever, all the people involved in this can put together a resoundingly entertaining season of television. And I have faith in that because a lot of folks can do a first season. Why? Because you have an almost infinite amount of time to plan a first season before you start, right? You could be writing this for 10 years before you start for your first season. Your season two, you have to write pretty quickly, right? And they wrote this... Obviously, pretty quickly, it was a year later, and I thought it was really, really good television. I give this an A minus. I give the original uh, season one, Ted Lasso, an A, um, and then, there you go. I, th- I thought it was really good, and it gives me a lot of faith in their ability to put together a good season of television, and I think I have even more faith in season three than I had going into season two.
1: I almost wonder whether some aspects of the plotting of the season were in purposeful reaction to some of the fan response to season one. Maybe. Of where... Everybody talked about, oh my God, this is such a wonderful endorsement of optimism and how great optimism can solve Kindness all the problems. Kindness makes and a positive And then this season's going into the flaws or incompleteness in Ted's philosophy, or how it doesn't work for certain people. Or Roy and Keeley, they're so perfect, they're such a wonderful relationship goal. But, Everybody should build their relationship on them. But uh, yep, it's so great that Rebecca doesn't need a relationship that she can function on her own, that she can get away from Rupert, completes all of her goals.
0: But that's good.
1: But but yeah. Uh, it's so wonderful that Nate has coming to his own and is overcoming all the issues with bullying and everything else to establish a positive resemblance. But it, it very much feels like they were just trying to do a more complete picture or a different perspective. <laughs> Nate <know>, music. <laughs> uh, uh, they were trying to do a more complete picture or at least a different perspective on a lot of the assumptions and automatic beliefs that people treasured in season one. And I think that's a more common trend in media nowadays is to challenge your fans' preconceptions or even your fans' likes. And whether that works or not, it can often depend on the category of the writing for the particular material. For Star Wars, we talked about it didn't work for me at all when they were doing that a lot of In the Last Jedi. For this, mostly worked for me really well, even if I still adore the first season and what it accomplished.
0: Well, I'll tell you this, we're obviously getting into season three. Yes. Uh, you read once somewhere that they were supposed to be only three seasons. And so they've you were... repeated
1: this before. It, it, it's not just one time. They in the ether, backed off of it as hard
0: as they can back off of it. And I know you recently you repeated read... it. I know you self-select when you read this stuff. So you're seeking out where they, they've said season three, I'm telling you, the vast majority of television critics, the people associated with the show, fully expected to go past season three. Prepare to be disappointed. You can I know you're going to do. You're going to hang on to the corner. You're going to say, no, they're going to stick to it. I expect them to stick to it. By God, you're going to wave your fist in the air and scream at the sky and say, get off my lawn. I just want you, a little part of you inside your soul, Spencer, to be ready. They're going past three seasons. Just be prepared I,
1: for it. And I'm telling you that you'll have live on air. Me going full Khrushchev and start banging my shoe on my laptop if they do this. I'm be invested mad. in this.
0: I'm telling you, you're going to be pissed because I think they're going <laughs> more than three seasons with this show. But in, I think what we can say in summation is a season that had things to talk about, raised a lot really to interesting, talk about. maybe questions. too
1: much to talk about,
0: <laughs> really interesting questions. People had varying thoughts about it. I don't think anybody really thought this was bad television. It was entertaining. Um, It certainly grew the audience. And I think that now we move forward with this show with a big, large, loyal following of Ted Lasso people. Ted Lasso firmly in the zeitgeist of the American public right now. Really, you know, um, intake this type of entertainment. I think it's a phenomenon. I think we move forward into season three in that vein. And I am very much excited to pick the Lasso Lowdown back up with you for season three.
1: Can I ask you one last question about this season? Absolutely. Could this have been the season one of the show, or could this, uh, this season only exist after season one?
0: Could only have existed after season one.
1: I think it is... It wouldn't have worked the same. I, yeah, I think it inherently has to exist after season one. If anything, just because I think season one was needed to seize the cultural consciousness for them now to say the things they want to say thereafter.
0: I just don't think that there would, the tension that they created was built on the character development that they did in season one i wouldn't have given sure. a shit about the Keeley roy thing the same way i did i wouldn't have cared about ted's psychological breakdown if i didn't know what a typically upbeat happy motivating person he normally is which we got during all of season one so i think season two has to has to be uh you know sort of uh, subsequent to, to yeah. season one for it to work do
1: now do we know that season three is coming back in a year is this one of those shows where we have to wait like four or five death of the universe years before we get another one of it
0: no i mean they they gave us uh they gave us another they gave us they were able to get season two out in one year even with COVID. so i mean i this doesn't seem like a show that takes a long time to make there's no like cgi there's not big sets i fully anticipate and and it's the flagship show for apple plus i fully anticipate we'll get season three sometime around this time next year
1: well, it's it's the return of the Jedi season, man. You better believe it's gonna be a lot of CGIs. We massive battle scenes. It's gonna be very much the Avengers Endgame kind of moment. Endgame, because it has to end at the end of yes, season three. It's got to exactly, be done. yeah. Just like the just like the Marvel canon ended with Avengers Endgame. ethics that, that, that's what that how, how that works and happens. You're gonna be so pissed, but
0: yeah. I anyway, I know that we're all here's all I know. I know that I enjoyed season two. I enjoyed doing this podcast with you, Spencer. I enjoy. Uh, talking about these episodes every week and delving into the issues that the show raises and creates. I'm happy uh, that people have picked up on the podcast that they've started to listen. Really appreciate all the all of you out there for following us week by week, giving us your feedback, giving us your ratings, giving us your reviews, subscribing to the podcast. Please, to the extent that you have additional feedback for us, please send it to us. We love to hear it. Unless you just absolutely loathe us, and so then you know make it nice if you could. But yeah, definitely give us your feedback. We really like that you all listen, and we're. That's the reason we do this. It's a reason why we try to stick to a schedule. We try to come here every week to give you this podcast, which we like the community that we're sort of creating here as we watch this really wonderful show that we all have to enjoy. And here's the other thing I know. I know that keep subscribed to this podcast because in a year's time, when season three comes out, you will see a new new episode pop up because we will be right back with you on this podcast. Feed the Lasso Lowdown for season three. Spencer, any parting thoughts before we let go? of uh, of season two
1: it's been a pleasure and all it makes me look forward to doing it again
0: absolutely so thanks again everybody for listening if you want to continue listening to spencer and i on a week-by-week basis you can go on over to the podcast feed line of succession that's another mangum talk podcast line of succession subscribe to that bad boy and spencer and i will be here with you every week episode by episode for season three of succession if you don't, if you don't listen, if you don't listen to us, then if you don't check us out, uh, then we will, at a minimum, be back with you for season three of Ted So Thanks again, everybody, for listening. See ya.